You asked if you could do anything for me. John Locke killed my brother. Will you do something about that? It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Happy New Year! Should all acquaintance down the hatch. The Dharma Station. <laughs> let's just, yeah, let's basically do a we didn't start the fire of various lost things interspersed into all the lane The arrow station and the flame and the pearl and the orchid. Oh, and Josh, I believe all the babies are now at sleep oh. because of the song we've been able oh, to Oh, yes. Who knew that uh, that babies would be lulled to sleep with the dulcet sounds of one James Sawyer Ford? I mean, he's got that, like, I guess if you had to pick, like, who would be the voice you'd want to hear if you had to hear one lost character's voice, uh, you know, in eternity for the rest it of your life. It wouldn't be Sawyer. I, I don't think, think I'd pick Sawyer. You don't think you no, don't think Sawyer? I, I mean, pick? Sawyer's on the list, for sure. Uh, but I think it would probably be Locke. I think it would probably be Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, he does have a very, like, soft quality to his voice, which probably makes him uh, a character who's very easy to, to bring people over to his I side. I think I would, just, really I would just... enjoy him reading me audiobooks, you know? I think I would enjoy him singing. I know that he's, he's, a, he's a musician. The ter- the but I also feel like Sawyer is going to provide you with like his own little MST3K <laughs> like yeah. like sort of remarks and commentary while he's reading, even if they are just okay. Car so magazines. we're baking uh, character and personality into the equation. I would think yeah, because I think it's specifically. Oh, then I definitely don't voice. want it to be character. Sawyer because he's just gonna make fun of you. He's gonna be he's like gonna call me like Plumpy McPlumperson for the rest of my life. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty unoriginal on Sawyer's part, though. I, you know, we'll we'll talk about Sawyer's pop culture references are starting to get a little obscure. I don't need, I don't need uh, even twenty something episodes. I don't need in. to go into eternity with uh, Sawyer calling me Jonah Hill. You know, like that's not something that I need. <laughs> uh, and with yeah, I guess so. Locke, at least Locke is going to tell me interesting stuff. You know, he's got he's got yeah that might not entirely be factually correct, but at least but it'll be interesting. be interesting. And I'm not going to know the difference, and it's going to sound compelling enough. And he's got stories for days. You know what you need, Josh? You need Locke, and you need Saeed there to like fact check him immediately and let you know if those stories. Saeed's are on the list because uh, Saeed, Saeed oh, yeah. could be sassy. You know, uh, he's definitely <laughs> sassy with like the the knots and stuff and the spinsters from a couple weeks ago. But he's also he's a he's a human lie detector. He asks interesting, insightful questions. Hopefully, he's not asking those questions because he suspects you of foul play. Uh, and he just has I don't know. His voice is very dreamy. Saeed. It's definitely a top contender. I think I would go Saeed over Sawyer, but baby Aaron, baby Turniphead, Mike would disagree as we will come to find out here in season one, episode 21 
the greater good. Yeah, apparently, I read this from behind-the-scenes stuff, the original title for this episode was Sides. To the point where, actually, I think on the Season 1 Blu-ray menu, it apparently still says, The Greater Good, a.k.a. Sides. Like, as in, whose side are you on? Yeah. Or, like, sides for a script that you read for a scene? Well, I mean, Said is sort of, like, performing a scene, uh, you know, with the role he has to play, I suppose. But maybe they actually just sort of left, like, placeholder text up of, like, sides for, you know, Episode 1, Episode 21 of Season 1. And they're like, oh, crap, did we actually, like rush that into production, calling it Sides. But I think, say what you want to about the episode, but The Greater Good is a much better title than you know, Sides, to, in my to opinion. To skip ahead to the feedback section, to the others, uh, other number one this week is going to be from Bob with two Bs, who says that this episode was originally going to be called Signs, according to the Blu-ray of season one. So oh. is it Signs or Sides? Whose side are you Me. on? Which side of the line? Who did you yeah. come with? Which side are, are you, you leaving on? with when it comes to the signs versus sides debate? Uh, look, you know what? I have fallen into the trap of the Lostpedia editors who seem to be a, an, its own community. Lostpedia is our baby. And they seem to have uh, interspersed something that said sides instead of signs. Signs? I, I was going to say signs makes more sense, but no. I don't think science makes more sense that, at all, unless there are aliens I don't involved. know that it makes sense either way. I think the greater good is probably uh, the the greater title than than sides <laughs> or signs. Um, but I mean, I mean, this is like one of the more compelling things I feel like to really debate about this episode. Here we are with our second ever Saeed Jarrah flashback. As we said last week on Do No Harm, there's no way that this episode is going to be rated higher than Solitary, which you and I both put as a 4.0 out of 4.2. But is the greater good an episode that I think is often forgotten just outright whether you whether you like it or not i think the greater good is is rarely an episode that you hear too much about in terms of lost fan chatter uh there is like the the real great push towards the end of season one and you get through do no harm and boone is gone and then like you kind of have these two episodes that you sort of just have to like live through uh before you get into exodus parts one uh and then two and three which we'll do as its own podcast uh but is this a better episode than that gives it credit for? I think these are the things that we're going to ask ourselves today as we are going all the way to Australia with uh, Saeed. I know they, they don't even they don't even say Australia like it's crazy. I guess the CIA assumes more of Saeed than literally any other character with any well, of the, the secret losses. Australian intelligence agency, which is I don't think the name of it, but I'm not going to double check or fact I, check I think it's, uh, it's 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 ASIS, which is very close to ass, which makes sense considering that this guy is an ass. A little bit. I don't like this guy. Not a, not a huge fan of uh, what's his name? Uh, agent. Uh, it's like Agent uh, Hewitt. Robbie. Robbie Hewitt. Yeah, I think it's it's Alyssa, Alyssa Cole and Robbie Hewitt. <laughs> jokers, classic Robbie. Uh, but we'll talk about all of that. We'll see if this is a if this is a better episode than remembered. Um, I think I enjoyed it on this watch through more than I've enjoyed it in the past, largely because I uh, I'm just really enjoying Lost right now. So even like a really bad episode of Lost is inclined to to land better with me than uh, than mm. it has in the past. Um, but there's much to discuss here as we're getting into the Saeed of it all. We've got feedback to sort through with our others section. Uh, you can send us feedback for our end of season feedback special, which is just a couple of weeks away now. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps 
Dot-com is the way to do that. You can also tweet at us. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom. Type subscribe if you have not done so already. PostShowRecaps.com slash down the hatch for our Apple feed. Uh, but we are available wherever you get your podcasts. And your ratings, your reviews are deeply, tremendously appreciated. Look, everybody, it's a new year, 2020. Here we are. Don't you want to be the first person to rate and review down the hatch in the new year? And this, the year of Aaron Littleton, uh, the year of the turnip? I believe you do. I believe you do. So go rate and review us. It's greatly appreciated. And with all of that said, Mike, shall we go forth into the jungle? Yes. Uh, there's a lot of jungle stuff going on this episode. Very, so it's yeah. only pertinent that we go forth this time. Very jungle-heavy episode here in The Greater Good, directed by David Grossman, written by Leonard Dick, originally aired May 4th, 2005. And it's... Se- oh, happy Star Wars ah, Day. that's right. Isn't that a happy Asher Day? Yeah, the minus Asher's minus fourteen today wow. on May fourth, two thousand five. Happy, not quite your birthday, Asher, but almost. I mean, it's some years removed from your birthday, uh, and it centers not on Asher, uh, but on Sidejara, and does prominently feature a baby. Uh, so it, this kind of yeah. works out. Uh, you know what? Maybe there's some time travel where Asher went back into time, masqueraded as this child that decided to star in Lost, and maybe that's why I love him oh yes. so much. All right, so here we are uh, with uh, our second Saeed episode, which means we are not going to have to read the series Bible entry that exists for Saeed, and we are going to continue to expand our uh, our factually wobbly down-the-hatch series Bible with an entry for none other than one Aaron Littleton, who is not yet known as Aaron Littleton, but shall be someday. This was written by the Ben Behind the Curtain. This is the Down the Hatch series Bible entry for Turniped. Literally mute for most of the first season due to being a fetus. Aaron Littleton will make an immediate splash on the show when he is born late in the first season. Although initially a newborn, Aaron will eventually become either the Antichrist, the savior of everyone on the island, or a regular baby. We haven't decided for sure yet. Casting note, head should be shaped like a turnip. And that's the entry. And I'm sad that it doesn't mention anything about napping because Aaron loves to nap. Yeah, he's an extremely well-behaved baby. And he's going to be like... Like, extremely, especially compared to somebody who, I guess, Asher has sort of moved technically out of what we can call a newborn and more so into, like, marking his months off. But, yeah, I mean, babies like to sleep, but they also like to sleep at the most inopportune times. And so, I mean, even when, uh, even in, like, season five on The Little Prince, when Kate uh, is, you know, carrying out Aaron, she's like, no, don't worry about Aaron. Uh, You know, you don't need to worry about whispering. Once he's out, like, there's no waking him up. And, like... It's right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe when he was uh, in utero with Clara and Dharma was performing experiments on her, maybe they like accidentally caused him to be narcoleptic or something. Yeah, maybe like uh, again, like all of that electromagnetism that caused him to grow so big uh, immediately upon birth. Uh, maybe it also caused him to just like I don't know, relax a lot. So like anytime like he needs to sleep, like he's not like you and me. Uh, we, we you know with the night terrors that I know that you suffer from occasionally, Mike, uh, or myself, who uh, <laughs> or or his mother suffers from those night yeah, terrors. Yeah, exactly. Are we sure that you're not a time traveling Aaron, Mike? That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was blonde as a oh baby. My God. Oh my oh god. Oh my god. What's going on here? Wow, a time travel Wait plot a minute. exposed. 
<laughs> wow, now that I think about it, I do have an Australian oh, accent. Oh, God, no, no! <laughs> oh, no. All right, so we're going to get into the greater good. We're going to do the summary. We've got the eight sounds. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything you want to set up before we get into this episode, Mike? Yeah, so... I mean, a I'll couple tell you things. this First real start- quick. Uh, the Ben behind the curtain warned me. He uh, he slid into my DMs before we started recording this one. And be like, sorry, man, there's not a lot of behind the scenes stuff to share with you this week. So it's going to be pretty light on that side of things. Feels like this is just like one of those episodes no one's really thought much about. And it's interesting because you spoke about, you know, maybe our respective receptions to this episode. And I not only, you know, like it more on the rewatch. I'm going to put out an argument that, you know, I think a a plurality of these Lost episodes for me have sort of sat in, like, that mid to high three range. And to be honest, their greater good is part of that. I know that I think the general impression that the community has with Lost is like, great, you have this sort of murderer's row of numbers, deus ex machina, and do no harm. And then we sort of have a couple of weaker episodes, and then it's Exodus. But I feel like that's doing some shame to the greater good. You know, I think the situation on the island is, okay, Boone's dead. Where do we go from here? And I think if you look at the episode from that perspective, uh, it's it's a really interesting take, at least on the on-island stuff. I do want to say also at the top of this that the flashback gets into some very, very rough territory. Uh, and I, I just want to put that out there. You know, obviously, the perspective that Josh and I are talking about, we want to be as all-encompassing as possible since there are so many different types of people watching Lost alongside us. Josh and I are both straight white men, and I feel like our perspectives are at least partially informed by, you know, our, our upbringing and where we come from with that. So... I guess this is sort of like a preemptive mea culpa if we do at all come across as insensitive in the way that we're talking about the flashback, which does function around terrorism and Islam and the link in between. You know, we we do greatly apologize about that and let us know, too. You know, the only way we can learn is if we know exactly, you know, where we might have erred and how we can become better people as a result moving forward. So I just wanted to put that out to start because this is that's obviously going to be a big part yeah of i mean so so uh to to flash back to 2005 this is a josh wiggler who is like uh you know falling in love with lost but is already deeply in love with 24 and like back then like 24 was like the show for me like that was my thing jack bauer tony almeida that was that was like my murderer's row of tv characters that was my favorite thing and uh when at the incept uh at the at the onset of uh post-show recaps um, we were, uh, we, we did, uh, when, when this whole podcast was founded, we did like a little bit of like a 24 binge podcast going, oh, going yeah. into, yeah, oh my going, God. Yeah. You, you, you made Rob. Watch no, the no, no, of God, no, absolutely not. What we did was I watched the entirety of 24 and reported back on it to Rob as we were getting ready for 24 live another day. And that was like 2014. And I think even then, like there was a lot about 24 that I, that I still really, really loved, but I haven't gone back and revisited it. Since um, there are aspects of this episode that remind me a lot of 24, and especially that era mm-hmm. of like the season two, season four era of 24, that I don't know. I, I'd like to think that like I've uh, I've engaged in in uh, in in more of the world since then. I have I have read more since then. I have watched uh, higher quality television uh, since then. Uh, that I feel like I don't know how I would feel going back to some of those seasons of Twenty Four, but I I definitely felt a little bit of that here with the greater good, in not the greatest way, but in this way right. where it does like for me register fairly passively, um, which is not 
not fantastic and, and makes me feel like, you know, I'm, it, it's not the thing that makes me feel that way. Uh, I'm not an authority in this area whatsoever. Uh, so I echo Mike, like if this comes across as insensitive at any point in time, really not the intention. Uh, and anybody who wants to write in on anything that's featured in The Greater Good, we've got that big feedback show coming up in just a few weeks. Uh, so we, we will certainly get into that if anybody's got anything to say on the matter. One more note that I will, I will, uh, I will, I will say here uh, is, uh, is that Issam, who is Saeed's friend, uh, to, to bolster the 24 connection even further, Mike, uh, was the great Yusuf Auda on season two of 24. Donnie Kirschwartz. Uh, played Yusuf in season two of 24, who was a remarkable character, uh, albeit short-lived, tragically. So R.I.P. Yusuf. Uh, but he was like part of like this power crew that Jack Bauer assembles towards the back half of day two of 24, where the Cypress audio recording uh, is... It's a forgery, Mike. And, we're Amer- oh, and no. America is going to go to war over this forged recording and Yusuf is going to be part of Jack's team. It's like Jack and and Yusuf and uh, and Kate. Uh, they're all going to, not not Kate Austin. And now that now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, there are some very similar yeah. names also between 24 and Lost. I can understand why it was an easy crossover. Yeah, yeah Kate for you. Warner, I not, believe was not, her name. not too many new names names to Kate, learn as Kate a result. Warner, and I believe John Wallace, I think, is the name of the of the member of uh, of the like, Coral. Coral Team Six or something stupid like that. What? I don't remember. My memory of it is starting to fade, which is crazy. I'm gonna have to go back and watch 24 at some point. Uh, this sounds this sounds like if SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> did like a SEAL Team Six yeah, crossover. Yeah, but uh, I always liked the character of Isam on in the Greater Good uh, because I loved Yusuf on uh, season two of, of 24, and Donnie Kershartz did such a great job with that character that I almost felt like he was wasted here on Lost, where I felt like we could have gotten like a really great enduring character. Uh, here in uh, in in uh, in Lost, moving on from this character, but what we get is a story that obviously has big emotional impact on Saeed. It's something that he's meditating on here on the island as he is dealing uh, with with Shannon and her um, you know her grief over losing Boone and the fact that she wants Saeed to to maybe kill Locke uh, as we listened to at the start of this episode of the podcast. Uh, so there's a lot there's a lot of there there here in this episode and. I even talking about it right now. I still don't know entirely how I feel about the whole thing. So we'll track mm-hmm. that. We'll put our fingers on the pulse of it as we go through this episode. But where we begin, yes, Mike Bloom is a lack of Boone pulse. No pulse for Boone. Uh, Said is looking out at Shannon, who's with Boone's body, and she's just kind of running her fingers through his hair. And Said is like standing nearby, and he's kind of got this look on his face of like, oh, this is such bad timing to get into. The relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. We know how Saeed worships at the <laughs> uh, altar of uh, Tucker Max uh, and is like, oh, man, assholes finish first told me wow. that I should ditch. Very 2005 uh, with Tucker Max being called out here. Uh, I'm sure he loved the greater good. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, so Saeed's like, he obviously he feels awful about everything. He's trying to, to talk to, to Shannon and make her feel better about everything. She's like, is there anything I can do from what I hear? Like, sunset said that that Boone stopped Jack from taking the leg. He didn't want him using up antibiotics. He knew what was happening to him and he was very brave. And Shannon kind of just like nods along, but but barely. Um, You know, Shannon's having a hard time in this episode. This is tough. Yeah, and that's the thing as well, is I think we can certainly get into uh, the actions that she both suggests and ultimately takes. But I think it needs to be 
couched in the fact that this is a woman going through grief. You know, she and Boone may have had their differences, but as she told Saeed in the last episode, like, she's always going to love him. It may not be the love that Boone wants, but she's always going to have an attachment to him. And so to lose him must be extremely difficult. Saeed's perspective is also really interesting in this because this is someone who is no stranger to death, right? As a part of the Republican Guard, I'm sure he has both witnessed and unfortunately been a part of many people dying, oftentimes with the blood on his hands. And I wonder how that sort of has given him perspective as to you know the death of people or was is it about like divorcing your emotions from the death which i'm assuming is going to become very tough several episodes from now when it ultimately is shannon who dies yeah but i think that saeed one of his superpowers is empathy i think actually which is you know maybe not something that you would think of when you think about saeed because he's like such a badass and he's a war veteran and you know he tortures people on the island sometimes off the island uh he's an assassin at some point in the future um but like one of the re- like he got he got through to charlie several episodes ago mm. right when he's like i know what you've been through i've been there myself uh, i think the way that he talks to Shannon throughout this episode for much of it anyway uh is is really coming from a place of of, of deep empathy um I think even when like he's gonna get an exodus he's gonna get like punched in the face a couple of times or at least once by Charlie before side like catches the arm and is like if you really want to go down this route like there's plenty of blame to go around <laughs> but he also like stops short of like hitting him back and is kind of like able to tolerate it because a probably Charlie's not punching him too hard uh but b also because he understands why Charlie's as upset as he is in that moment. Right. Uh, you know, I think that Saeed is a guy who's very in tune with people's emotions, and I think that that's a big piece of why he is able to uh, to to figure out people's truths so quickly. And I think also um, this stems from you know it stems from his communications training for sure, but it also stems from I think the the loss that he's been suffering. As we're about to find out, here we go into a flashback, right, where he's going to be at Heathrow Airport and he's going to be held in in eighteen hours in a holding cell by freaking Alyssa Cole and Robbie and Hewitt. Freaking Robbie Hewitt, the Tweedledee and Tweedledum yeah, of the uh, of, of I, lost I, law I, enforcement. I do think again, if you're talking about uh, you know, you're saying okay, so the last thing we saw was Saeed in Iraq. Let's see what Saeed looks like outside of Iraq. And I will say the first image of, you know, it just closes in on Saeed's face and then it pans out to reveal him being detained. It's like, right. this is both very appropriate and very inappropriate. Yeah, it was, you know, yeah, it's it's not great. But but in this scene when they're going to we're going to say they're going to he's going to be like, I'm not a terrorist. and They're going to be like, that's not why we snatched you up. We didn't snatch you up because you're a terrorist. We snatched you up because, you know, one uh, and they're going to pitch him on this idea that your old roommate, uh, Isam Tasir, the, the old philosophy student, uh, he is in Australia. He's part of this crew that probably is involved with stealing this, what, 300 pounds of C4 from an army base near Which, Melbourne. Oh, hey, C4. We'll be seeing you in many different capacities throughout Lost, but it's interesting that it gets mentioned here. And considering that uh, I think the C4 is ultimately what kills Saeed, right? Yes, that is correct. C4, we will see you later here. The CIA wants Saeed to go for, for the C4, this mission. For the C4 mission. Uh, and they're they're gonna they're gonna tell him that like look if you help us with this we're gonna reunite you with nadia 
And he's like, ooh, what? And we come to find out that Saeed's been gone from Iraq for seven years. Uh, he's been moving every three months or so. They say somebody who is, who is running for that long is either running away from something or looking for something. And what he's looking for is Nadia, obviously. Uh, but that, that adds to this empathetic ability that, that Saeed really has. Is This is somebody who knows, who knows this type of pain pretty well because for the last seven years he's had no idea where Nadia is like he keeps traveling the world trying to find her uh, and he's been unsuccessful in that attempt so far so I think that somebody who has like felt the guilt of falling in love with somebody who he hurt literally so badly even if he saved her life in the end that wasn't without um, you know being a participant in something that really caused him to have to reevaluate the whole way he had lived his life up to that point I'm sure uh, and has had that uh, karmic balance on his soul ever since uh i think really helps lend to the idea of why saeed is as has been discussed here on this podcast before one of the truly great romantics of Mm. of lost is this is a guy who feels things very very deeply yeah and i mean that also sort of reflects or at least his sort of mind state with this idea of the greater good uh in the conversation with robbie where saeed's like why should I care? And Robbie replies, because you'd be saving lives. And then Said retorts again, why should I care? Right. And it's cold, but at the same time, like you said, this is a guy who knows about this concept of the greater good. This idea of the greater good essentially to me has always meant means to an end of, okay, is it worth doing possibly immoral things if you're going to get something that could possibly you know, be a positive outcome for more people? Uh, you know, do the needs of the many justify the needs of the few? Right. Uh, to quote another person who went the way of, Bo- of Boone for quite some time. And I think Saeed has been, grow- had probably grew, obviously, as we find out from Solitary, disillusioned with that idea. There's a reason why he ends up leaving Iraq and decides to take after Nadia instead of possibly a promotional opportunity that I'm sure he was offered. Uh, so when he says, you know, why should I care? Again, it sounds callous at first, but this is coming from somebody who has sort of heard that line before. You know, that's his line, and the drinks are on him, so uh-huh. he's going to leave uh, until Alyssa Cole brings up that he could be coming and leaving with Nadia. Yeah, and it turns out that drinks are on her. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so... Saeed right now is going to become a a little... I mean, I guess it sort of is setting up that he's at least able to do these types of things. I wouldn't call it, like, straight-up espionage, but it's at least work for the government, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, like, it is espionage is what he's doing. You know, he's he's a spy. He's infiltrating. This is undercover. This is... It it really is, like, he's like Jack Bauer right now, and he's got to deep cover. He's going in to, to infiltrate the Salazars. That was season three, when Jack infiltrated the Salazars... Uh, and made them think that he was part of their team. Then he got addicted to heroin. Well, he's double O four eight fifteen sixteen twenty three forty two. Double. I think double O eight fifteen is good enough. I don't think we got to go all the way. I don't know. The MI compendium must have gotten very big by uh, that maybe, time. Maybe. All right. So out in the jungle, back on the island, Kate is tracking bandages. She finds bandages. Then she finds Jack. <laughs> uh, and Jack's just been like running around in circles. And Jack looks rough. He looks bad. Uh, the costuming tells us, of course, that this is uh, immediately following on the heels of the ending of Do No Harm 2. Uh, so, you know, he's been uh, probably out in the jungle for a couple hours now, uh, and he has not taken a rest. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to have some opportunities for, for Jack to rest up here, uh, maybe not necessarily uh, by his own design. 
Yeah, so this is a really interesting conversation. You know, it sort of mirrors some other Jack and Kate stuff where Jack sort of is pursuing this path and Kate is really trying to basically edge him back onto uh, reality. But what I thought was really interesting about this conversation is, you know, Jack specifically brings up to Kate, he lied. And, you know, that's going to be something that Jack walks back a bit, but that sort of has Kate step back a bit from her you know, or change tactics when it comes to bringing Jack back to camp. And I wonder if he said that because he knows that she lied to him. And so that's also sort of like a signal he sends to her of like, yes, you hurt me by doing this and Locke really hurt me by doing this. And you know that. So that's why I need to keep doing this. Right. He says, yeah, Locke lied. Locke lied. He didn't fall off a cliff, Boone. His leg was crushed. I based my medical treatment on a lie. And Kate's like, all right, I get it. And that makes sense. But also uh, maybe like, Come back? It's, uh, a, it's a, She's a little locky in here in the White Rabbit. You know, she sort of is coming back and not exactly giving a big, grandiose speech to him about looking to the eye of the island, but it's a very similar type of tone, right? Of like, hey, those people need you back there, and then you have your own to-do list. You need to be a leader first and foremost, so come back, Jack. All right, so he comes back, and when he comes back, it's Booneral time. Yeah, and I sh- we should say here that we're going to start with the actual speeches themselves. So unfortunately, that means we're going to skip over a beautiful piece of Giacchino music. Some great Giacchinoism uh, here as we're setting up the funeral and everybody's coming in and Hurley and Son are carrying the body, even Sawyer's here. Which, it's interesting. Hurley has become like one of the undertakers of the island because he's carried Ethan's body, he's carried uh, Boone's body, and considering what his latent superpower is, I find that very interesting. Wasn't the undertaker like undefeated for a long time as well? Wasn't that like his whole thing? Hurley's kind of like that except for all of the defeats that he's sustained from becoming a cursed lottery winner yeah and i guess did jack like hand off the wrestlemania belt of the island to hurley to take well, didn't, on didn't hurley once say i'm back home i'm something of a warrior myself maybe he's the undertaker oh my god this is what lost season seven when a bit of flashback where hurley we'll, was we'll part of the wwe out. lost two we'll get there uh but yeah so hurley and and son are gonna carry boone's body sawyer's here uh walt's like holding his dad's hand um, he's obviously going to be very upset about this whole thing. And Shannon is just like pale. Uh, she's yeah. like a ghost, uh, a grief ghost. And Jack is like a ghost as well because he's almost like actually yeah. a ghost. Yeah, he is. Breathe. This this scene is like maximum Matthew Fox, like asthmatic breathing. Like yeah. he is just panting, heaving as he's talking at the at the funeral. It's not great. All right. So let's listen in to a little bit of the funeral proceedings. Shannon, do you wanna you wanna say something? No. I didn't know Boone very well. And for that I'm sorry. On our sixth day here, a woman named Joanna died. She drowned, and Boone was the first one into the water. I didn't know him, but I'll remember his courage, and I know he will be missed. It was my fault. 
We found a plane, a beachcraft in the jungle. It was it was lodged in the canopy. So I, I would have gone up, but but I've. My leg was hurt, so he... There was a radio inside, and he thought he could... Like, his weight must have made the plane shift, and, and it fell, and... happened because he was trying to help us. He was a hero. Where were you? Where were you? Where the hell were you, you son of a bitch? What did you do to feisty uh john luck what are you doing showing up at the funeral covered in the blood of the dead man at least put on a jacket like have a ja- some decorum even shirtless would have been better i think than uh coming up with boone's blood all over his shirt at yeah. boone's funeral it's so bad look man john luck bad looks abound bad locks and bad looks uh this is it's so interesting to see his appearance here because you could tell that like he wanted to come in and like try to use this as I think an olive branch. Like he, I think he knew as we talked about in Deus Ex Machina. Like once he gained some sense again, he saw that light in the hatch. I think reality set in, and he realized that he screwed up. And so I think he's trying to extend an olive branch here. But what I love about it is again, look at the status of the scene. Locke is somebody who usually is sort of able to keep people enraptured by the lines that he's putting out there. The Can't even complete that, his sentences. Yet. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that like he keeps trying to start up sentences, start up assumingly explanations, and he just looks at the crowd, and the crowd is just you no lost selling him. him. You lost him, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it's so interesting because we're gonna get Locke in this episode, and we're gonna get Kate in the next episode. Unfortunately, I feel like those effects sort of get washed away by the time Exodus happens because of the speaking of the greater good, I guess the greater bad that is coming. But I feel like it's such an interesting shift from for Locke's like reputation. I mean, look back on Walkabout. You know, when he makes this big speech of like, hey, I'm throwing a knife. I'm going to hunt this boar so we won't be hungry again. And now look at him not able to even like finish out a yeah, sentence. Yeah, even, ju- even just a couple of episodes ago, right? And in, in, ooh, in translation, when Locke yeah. shows up, he's like, we're not the only people on the island that we all know. And everyone is like, yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, he's right. He's right. Why are we getting so mad at Jin? Maybe it was the guy who killed Scott or was it Steve? And here Locke is... I think it's because Locke is really off balance in this episode. Even if his, mm. uh, his his footing has recovered to some degree, even if he is capable of going on long jungle treks in this episode, uh, and it's it's got nothing to do with getting shot in the head later on either. Like he is just wobbly here, um, and I think it's because of like the exhausting night he just spent out in the jungle, pounding on the hatch door, howling into into d- the despair of the island. Um, but he. He shows up here and it's like, I think 
if Locke looks into the eye of his soul, he knows he doesn't really have a good explanation here. And yet a lot of the Locke that we get throughout this episode is still a little bit of a woe is me. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's not, it's not good stuff here for, for Johnny boy in this episode. And maybe Jack, like knocking Locke's block here in, at the end of the funeral it's, is also not a great look. It's crazy. I mean, I think maybe he took some lessons from Mark Silverman himself. Like he, <laughs> he, I mean, yeah. this, this is probably the most emotionally unhinged we've seen Jack so far in a right? long time. I mean, like since white rabbit, I would say, right. Like, I think since white rabbit, when he was also kind of losing his mind, but this is different. Like this time, I mean, I guess they were fairly similar because someone had just died and that kind of led Jack right. onto his wild goose chase through the jungle. But here, um, someone died after like a prolonged attempt to save him and he couldn't save him. And Jack, whether rightly or wrongly is blaming the death on the fact that, Locke lied to him and ran away about what happened to Boone, so he was mistreating Boone. Uh, I think we've already litigated whether or not we think that that would have, uh, knowing the the truth of what happened to Boone, how much would that have really um, right. helped if, him if out they, here? If they, if they took John Locke to court, yeah. how, what would the settlement be? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, he's also like, he's like, he's he's woozy he's 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 lacking in blood at this point. Poor Jack. Uh, he puts so much of himself into Boone. He's probably triggered looking at Locke's shirt being like, if you had hung around, yeah. we could have drained your we shirt. Could have, we could have just wrung your shirt out and put into it a, back into a water bottle and poured it down Boone's throat. That's how we a transfusion works, We right? could have told you to go back to where you dropped him and gathered up all the blood along the way. Maybe some dirt bits would have gotten in it, but maybe it would have worked. Who knows? I'm, the Jack is... He's primal here, and I love... It's Gia great. Giacchino does such a great job where, again, you have this sort of like ethereal uh funeral music that you know uh really gets used to full effect it's sort of combining i'm going to talk about the boone and shannon theme that gets brought up in this episode a little bit later but it sort of combines that with the main theme since the whole group is brought together but you hear a distinct turn when jack starts asking where were you and that's a signal to all of us of like oh the tone of this even though Locke was meaning the best with his eulogy his contribution to the funeral this is a clear tone shift and jacks yells you know when we cut back from commercial break everyone's the gawkers have decided to step in and a fight finally and like tear him off of lock but jack's yells are guttural they are just like they're they're animalistic because he is willing to tear lock flesh from bone right now yeah flesh from boone uh i think that this is probably uh this is the best scene of the episode right yeah i mean i think it's the most emotionally heightened as uh, well uh which so i think uh, is that the a, most is climactic it, I don't think that there's really anything that competes with it, too. I'm just trying to, like, because I'm kind of doing, like, a live assessment here of the greater good. I know mm-hmm. where I landed with it in my rankings before we got into the episode, but I'm just trying to evaluate in the in the talking through of it whether that's going to go up or down. Uh, but it but it's notable to me that I think that the Booner roll is the best scene of the greater good by a lot. It's not just like one of those things where like the best scene of the episode takes place at the start of the episode, like with Man of Science, Man of Faith, the season two premiere, right? Like obviously the introduction, the first scene is like lights out the best scene. Yeah of the episode, but are there scenes later on throughout the episode that rise to the occasion or at least come close? And I would say, yeah, like I would, I would look at the flashback. I would look at Jack and Desmond uh, meeting each other in the stadium. I would look at uh, Jack going into the hatch and how disturbing that is when he comes face to face with Desmond. So there's still moments in man of science, man of faith that even though it has like the knockout punch in the beginning, and that's clearly the best scene is right off the top. There are still great scenes in it. Um, Where does the greater good land with that? For me, 
something I'm evaluating. I don't think I have a great answer for uh, it. Yet. I don't want to color your opinion. I personally think there are. I mean, one of the reasons why I, I rate this episode where I do is because I think, especially with the on island stuff, there's a lot of meaty stuff going on. And I, while I don't think it necessarily hits the emotional highs that the Boon Roll does, even when we get to like the standoff in the jungle, there's some really strong stuff going on, especially. I think that something that get, gets forgotten about this episode is we've seen Saeed and Locke have a couple of scenes together, but this is the first time that I think these two big brains really go head to head. And I think that's a really interesting character, you know, partnership that was not really explored yet up to this point. Not in this way, for sure. There have been a few instances, but but not to the degree that we get in here. Uh, we'll talk all that through. When we, we come back, because uh, that what we just heard takes us to the title, and we come back, and Jack is still screaming. <laughs> uh, and eventually he passes out. And look, it's our boy Sawyer, who's the guy who says, go get some water. Uh, push come to shove. James Sawyer Ford. He uh, yeah, unless uh, he already knows that Sun poisoned the water. Oh, like, maybe. Pour, pour all the water down <laughs> his throat. I don't think he knows that. Uh, but Saeed's looking locked down. Uh, and then back at the beach... Jack is still mad, Locke's hiding something, and uh, everybody's insisting that Jack get some rest, and Jack doesn't really want to hear it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because he feels like they're, I would say, in danger, but, I mean, he is, reveals the hatch to Saeed, Kate, and Son, and we're gonna, he's going to reveal it to Hurley and Rousseau, obviously, in the finale, and then obviously to a greater group once the actual hatch gets open, and... We'll talk more about this next episode, how Jack and Locke sort of choose their various forms of discretion when it comes to secrets on the island. But I think that Jack is really trying to differentiate himself from Locke to be like, I can't be like that guy. And I have to imagine his decision here, also partially informed by his state of mind, uh, is one to do that. Of I'm not like Locke. I don't keep those kinds of big secrets. In fact, let me do it right now. There's a hatch, apparently, in the middle of the jungle, people. Right, exactly. Uh, so we get our, we get our next flashback and Syed has traveled to Sydney to embark on this mission to find out what Isam is up to. Uh, they run into each other at a mosque and Isam is like, oh my God, what a coincidence. Saeed, my old roommate, uh, my, my good friend, I haven't seen you in so long. What are the odds? And Syed's like, oh yeah, I know. So crazy, right? <laughs> Running into you here like this. Definitely not premeditated at all. Yeah, there's this interesting idea. Obviously, we go back to the deus ex machina of it all of, like, luck versus fate. But I feel like this episode introduces a third element, which is choice. You know, Saeed's going to say near the end of the episode, like, no, there's always a choice. And that makes sense, given that he's not necessarily someone who believes in fate. Uh, but he does believe in, like, if there is a larger network of things that are arranging for things to happen. But it's less so from the mythical god variety and more so from the, like hey, the government arranged so the two of us happen to meet each other right here so I could become infiltrated into your organization. Yeah, uh, Assam is a tree cutter. I, I like this when, when Saeed's like, a tree cutter? And Assam's like, yeah, I cut trees. I, <laughs> it's like the is, box company. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like This is becoming one of my new favorite uh, like writing ticks. And yeah, do this like, all through? I mean, yeah, like it's, it's you say something, somebody questions it, and then you like simply state what it is back. You know, like yeah. uh, oh, you know, uh, I I bought some white shoes today. White shoes, yeah, you know, shoes that are white. Yeah, like that's, what, that's what, basically what did, how you write a lost joke. What did one snowman say to the other snowman? Snowman, yeah, it's a man made of snow. Yeah, exactly. Like it almost feels like uh, maybe that Norman, was the answer. I know it, it smells like carrots, but. Uh, it, it feels like uh, almost like Norm Macdonald doing Burt Reynolds. Like I can imagine him doing that. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, know, uh, yeah. C- 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 trees. Yeah, <laughs> cut trees. Yeah, c- 
countries. Uh, Said goes back to Isam's for pizza. Uh, tons of pizza at Isam's house. Uh, and Isam's buddies, his housemates. Uh, I believe they are playing Half-Life is what I have uh, yes. been led to believe. So this is interesting because Half-Life, uh, much like Lost, there is a sequel that has very sought out but has yet to be made. But the original Half-Life is about uh, a man named Gordon Freeman who wakes up in like this lab facility where they had opened up a portal to another dimension and essentially has to like fight his way out. And so there's several different elements that are intentionally or unintentionally foreshadowed with half-life zombies and stuff yeah there's like there's like it's partially like the the aliens it's sometimes like the lab technicians that are like taken over by whatever alien virus has has uh, perforated uh or permeated the the industry but i mean this also you know having to get out of a lab that's doing creepy experiments is a little dharma-esque but the big thing spoiler alert for half-life it finishes where gordon reaches the certain point and he ends up, you know, passing out and he wakes up uh, and he turns out he's been saved by a G-man who tells him, I've been watching you the entire time uh, and I, you know, haven't chosen to interact with you until it really felt like your life was on the line. And now I've rescued you. Can we think of any other, you know, omnipotent individuals who are watching the action from Ooh. afar and decide to not necessarily take uh, any sort of involvement until the very end? Yeah, you're talking about uh, Kelvin Inman, right? Exactly. And then you sort of get choked out on the rocks. And uh -huh. then, uh, no, we're talking about Jacob, of course. Yes, yes. So oh, that's great. Wow. Uh, who knew the Half-Life conspiracy was, uh, was, was tipping off the, uh, the, the big man in charge of the island this whole time? Yeah, I mean, I guess Valve maybe had something in with a bad robot, and they decided to partner up on this, but I'm very surprised. I thought that you said Val, as in like Val Collins, and I was like <laughs> struggling to get the joke. Uh I don't know. Multiple idols? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, listen, the she's a cop and the police do not look great in, in this episode. <laughs> in this episode, episode yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think that, you know, I'm actually surprised. Uh, maybe if they had made it more prominent, like maybe Valve would have helped with the uh, the, the lost experience, the video games video that game. they produced, but uh, I don't think they got involved there. I don't think so as well. Maybe we can uh, pair them up with Rich uh, for another episode of the Lost RPG uh, coming your way sometime in 2020. Uh, but Saeed shows up. And oh, 20. Like, that's Val's... Uh, <laughs> that's it, 2020. 2020. Sam Wonder right? Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Uh, so Saeed's here, and they're all talking, and Saeed just like starts coming up with some story about a beach. I don't know what he's saying. Uh, but he like takes a cigarette out, and he lights it. He puts it up against the smoke detector, and nothing's going off. And he unplugs the smoke detector, and there's a computer chip there. And he puts the computer chip in a beer... Everyone's like, oh, it was my beer. He's like, what kind of trees do you guys cut anyway? Uh, and of course, this is Saeed just flexing, right? He's like, he's got to he's gotta make himself, uh, he's got to ingratiate himself with the crew quickly here. Because uh, he's on a, much like Jack Bauer, ticking clock. Uh, Damn it, Boone, there's no time! This is going to sound, again, I don't mean to sound insensitive, and I'm not comparing this to specifically this piece of pop culture as a one-to-one -one comparison, but it's kind of shades of the Fast and the Furious, is it not? Of like someone has to break into this criminal organization, and Saeed sort of has to. Yeah, Saeed's a regular Brian O'Connor here. Yeah, and we're about to meet Letty in a couple of episodes. Oh, that's true. Oh my god, it got to be a role for Vin Diesel here. 
but there is not, alas. Uh, I don't know. Is there some sort of like uh, animated Dharma creature that he could do the voice of that only says three words? But the the head of the crew here is uh, very impressed with Saeed here because Assam is like, yeah, he's a communications officer. He knows these things. If he says we're being listened to, we should probably take that seriously. Uh, and the guy's like, yeah, perhaps it was not a coincidence that you and Isam ran to each other at the mosque. Perhaps it was fate. Yeah, a little uh, bit of a pregnant pause, though, between those sentences to make a Saeed, like, emotionally crap his pants for a second of like, oh my god, am I already being busted like, out? Yeah, yeah, no way, no way. Uh, Saeed's got these guys' number. Uh, but it's a little bit of an early tip of the cap towards something that Mr. Echo will say later on uh, down the line on Lost. Let's leave the flashback. Let's go back to the island. Let's let's trigger sound number two as we are uh, we're dipping into the legend of one Mr. Turniped. Look, I'm fine, really, okay? You need rest, Claire. Son, fella. In a hospital, they would have you sleep. The nurses would take your baby. Yeah, but I'm not in a hospital. Well, all the more reason to take extra care, Claire. Look, it's okay. I can take care of Turniped for a while. Turniped? It's just what I'm calling him. Do you give him a name? Because his head. It's like a turnip. Yeah, a turnip head, you know, because his head uh, looks like a turnip. <laughs> I'm sad that turnip head didn't, like, stick. I feel like uh, Claire, Claire goes with Aaron. Aaron's a great name, of course, but turnip head would have been legendary. Do you think if Charlie had stayed around longer, he really would have just hammered that home for her? No, because he, he ends up calling him Aaron. He's ultimately pretty good with it, but uh, I wish that, like, Claire had been more receptive to it. It was just like, ah, turnip head, turnip head Littleton. You know, when, when he goes to kindergarten... And like his teacher's like calling for him on the playground, turnip head, turnip head. Uh, no one else's head's gonna turn around. It's just turnip know. heads. I don't know how many uh, kids' heads look like turnips. I'm also intrigued that Charlie immediately went for the turnip. You know, maybe yeah. that just says uh, the type of vegetables they really were invested in at the Pace household. Yeah, loved turnips at the Pace household. Uh, but he's trying to tell her, like, look, you just had a baby. You look great, by the way, for having literally had a baby. Yeah, Ten almost as if ago. you were wearing like some sort of prosthetic pregnant belly, and then that you was got then rid of removed it. completely, and nothing was attempted, and at, it wasn't uh, part of a creepy dream. Yeah, and so she's like, she's totally like, she's just hanging out. She seems physically fine. Those island, the island's healing properties, man, they'll get you. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I guess it's sort of like I don't know the perfect plastic surgeon. Uh, but I mean, speaking of surgeon, uh, it's a great. You know, we sort of talked about the weird sort of uh, parallels between Claire and Jack without knowing that they are, you know, uh, half siblings. And here we have it as well, where in very separate sections of the camp, they're both being encouraged to take some rest. And they're both sort of, I guess it's a Christian shepherd, uh, you know, uh, facet of his personality that, no, he's stubborn. Uh, and they are stubborn as well. They're not going to go to sleep unless uh, one, in one case they're drugged or in the other case Turniped is uh, put in Charlie's care. Two stubborn shepherds, one turnip head. Oh, uh, only uh, 51 weeks on Down the Hatch until the next Christmas. <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up. Uh, so Charlie is going to convince Claire to let him have turnip head. He's going he's gonna to take turnip head for a walk and try to figure out what's going on with the baby. Uh, meanwhile, another conversation is about to occur further down the beach as Shannon, who is rightfully very upset, is all alone and here comes John Locke, still wearing Boone's bloody shirt. Are you kidding me? I think it's Are a Are you kidding me? I'm making this a look now. It's, it's very the in. Shirt. 
off. Get the shirt off your body. You're wearing the blood of this poor woman's deceased brother. He died 10 hours ago and you're still wearing his bloody shirt. Are you kidding me? Uh, Charlie would call it a bloody, bloody shirt. Oh, man. You know how much I love John Locke, but this is... This yeah, is, uh, among his very worst episodes. He's very uh, tone deaf this episode. <laughs> this is the bad or bad for John Locke. Anyway, so here's John Locke talking to shit. This was his. I didn't go through it. Thank you. Welcome. Storm coming. I should have said no. First time he offered to hunt with me, I should have said no. He would have gone anyway. Yeah, I suppose you would I know how confused and angry you must be right now. I can't say I understand what you're going through, but... I know what it feels like when you lose family. I hope you can forgive me. I'm sorry. Josh, I'm not sure how to feel about the walkabout music being used for this maybe just because we have such associated memories when when it was used heck even two episodes ago and i guess it has echoes back to you know when it ended up happening and lock sort of comparisons to his own situation but i don't know it feels weird here you know yeah yeah so so again to dip into the others uh which we already did in in this episode i want i want to dip back in there right now uh because john kraus had written in and said this, because I think this is something that I'm thinking about more and more, even as we're just like going back through the greater good and talking it through. Uh, he wrote, uh, it's kind of shitty that it's a Saeed flashback after Boone dies. Shannon's brother and only relative on the island just died. So let's focus in on how her new boyfriend feels. Shouldn't this have been a Shannon flashback. Uh, and I know that uh, we're not talking about Saeed directly right now, but what we are talking about is like framing this moment more through the lens of John Locke than Shannon here, mm. bringing the walkabout music into it and kind of like grounding the scene in like feeling like because you're using that walkabout music and having Locke here and seeing Shannon crying, that maybe there is this moment of uh, of connection between these two people. And of course, to the show's credit, in the very next episode, uh, very next scene, Shannon's going to be like, hey, so Saeed, uh, could you maybe like look into John Locke? Because I think he killed my brother. That's a fun sort of like reversal of tropes from a Lost perspective where like we've seen those heart to hearts many or heart right. to minds many, many times before. And I do like that they sort of 
of course this one is going to work. Like, this was way too much of a hurdle for John Locke to overcome, including how he ends the conversation was essentially like, well, good talk, bye, yeah, and just yeah. leaves. <laughs> but I do think, I do think that this probably ought to have been a Shannon flashback this episode. I really do. And I, and I know we covered this a little bit last week, talking about it in Do No Harm, um, about how one of the reasons that, that uh, Boone and Shannon don't make it very far, uh, potentially, is the flashback structure and the fact that they're both, both such young characters that you could really only dig so far back. Uh, but they don't even really try with Shannon until they're about to kill her, right? In season two, like she has uh, a role to play in Hearts and Minds, but it's not her flashback. That's a Boone flashback episode for sure. Uh, so Shannon becomes the only series regular, I think, to not have a flashback in season one of the OG season one cast. Because uh, even Walt has a flashback scene in special, right? Um, right, but then would you, I mean, I don't think you can count the Walt flashback scenes while also, you know, not counting the Shannon scenes, unless you're saying that like, there's no, not a I, scene I think of Shannon can. by herself. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there isn't. There isn't a scene that is filtered through Shannon's lens the way that there is at least through Walt's lens uh, in Special, uh, where Special is much more of a Michael joint, um, but there is a Walt aspect to it. There isn't that perspective for Shannon in Hearts and Minds. Uh, so you don't get that until Abandoned, when they're about to abandon Shannon. Uh, and I think it could have been very powerful here to get like Shannon processing all of this stuff with Locke and the fact that... Um, she has to, like, her whole world has just erupted once again. I mean, this is the Shannon story of people that she's close with uh, leaving her, right? Like, that, right. you know, that they, you know, because, like, her father's in the accident or her stepmother completely abandons her or now Boone is dead. Uh, and how can you filter that through the lens of a powerful flashback? Like, I think that a lot of the abandoned flashback material actually would have worked really well here uh, for, for this episode. And I think it's probably a better episode would be my feeling on it. Mm. And I, I get like, we don't know what Saeed's doing in Australia. So there's this impulse to like, really have to like cross out that line item. Um, but I don't know. I do think like the timing, I think that the hearing the walkabout music just like kind of, Brought me back into that, uh, that feeling that I'd already been feeling a little bit earlier in like the the funeral and like Saeed stepping up and having like a not great eulogy for Boone. He's no. trying. He's trying. But literally no. the first words he says, I didn't really know Boone. But, here but nobody I else is saying anything yeah, and it's I, awkward. Well, I so. think that's sort of him trying to, I wouldn't say serve as Shannon's mouthpiece in a way of being like he's speaking for her. But I think he's trying to almost speak on behalf of her. I think let's say we're in a perfect world where They'd written out all the flashbacks ahead of time before they even started the series. I think you take Shannon's flashbacks from Abandoned and put them here, and I think I think you have a better episode. I think so, too. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, especially because anyway, that is so Boone-connected as yes, well, where it's like exactly. her, her relationship with Sabrina Carlisle. I think it starts with Adam Rutherford's funeral. As and well so as, probably it's like really sad, too, because Boone just died, and now we're getting like more Boone in the flashbacks, and so it's like really punctuating makes, the loss. Yeah, makes Ian Summeralder feel better about that real estate investment as well. Like, hey, don't go too <laughs> yeah, far. We gave you another episode. Yeah, 100%. Uh, anyway, so, so Shannon's then going to go to site and say, uh, I know you said you'd do me uh, a solid. Well, how the- about... Uh, <laughs> How about, well, yeah, sorry. Uh, hope's that not that was last night. Yeah, that was last night. Uh, go, go find out why John Locke killed my brother. Uh, okay, so back on the beach, Kate's with Jack. Jack's, Jack's drinking fruit juice to get his blood sugar back up. He still wants to go after Locke. He stands up. Kate strongly advises that Jack lie back down. And Jack does lie back down, but not really voluntarily. Turns out 
that uh, Kate roofied Jack. She crushed up some sleeping pills and put them in his juice. Yeah, it's not not cool. No, and, like I honestly like to some degree, I was I was ready to kind of look past this because I love Kate. Uh, and because Jack is so stubborn and he really ought to sit down. And when, when Jack does finally wake up later in the episode, Kate's right there. And so my initial instinct there was like, all right, I, I do think I remember this, that like at least Kate stayed with him the entire time to like monitor him. And this is like her way of like getting him to like not go like be a psychopath and get himself killed. This is for the greater good. But she also she leaves him. And so Shannon's able to get the gun key off of his neck. So everything about this is bad from, like, the civilized rules of, like, don't roofie people, <laughs> you know, is not okay. But we're in the wild, Josh. I know. And, like, I thought, like, maybe a wild exception could be made, but she didn't even stay on guard duty. So uh, I do think Kate's probably going to take a hit in the 23 points for this, is if I'm if I'm guessing right. Yeah, I mean, I think that this was just it was this was a big risk. Like, I know that Jack hearts just, in the right place, but yeah, e. but mind isn't. I think no, that yeah. Jack Jack is a a person, and a person needs to rest. But like last episode showed, you cannot underestimate his value. God help you, drug him, and he is zonked out, and somebody comes in and is like, "Help! I got stabbed by a piece of wreckage while I was hammering on it for some reason." And your only doctor is passed out. And even if you wake him up, now he is like, like drowsy and lost of blood and full of malice towards John Locke. Like it, it feels like wait until the coast is clear a little bit. It just was very poor time. I'm glad that Jack woke up just in time for you know the showdown with Shannon to happen because like they got very lucky. There was no emergency that happened while Jack was asleep. Thank gosh. All right. So Locke's at the cave finally changing his shirt he's washing his shirt though which is crazy to me it's like maybe like at this point you did like, the shirt. go go for another one i know that he was i think he actually was very happy with how pristinely white he kept that shirt but like it's it's past its due you know you got you have to let it off the hook listen it's got to go the way of the orange underband uh <laughs> you gotta gotta go abandoned. so it has to be left behind in fiji somewhere yes uh so he's washing his shirt out and walt is there and Locke waves at walt and Walt walks away. Uh, if you've lost Walt Lock, this is a bad episode. Yeah, it's clear that their relationship has been changed. I mean, I know that they're going to have a talk, you know, uh, and they're going to have a little bit of like a goodbye in Exodus. But it's, I think it's clear that he views Locke in a different light, no matter what. This is a guy that Walt confided in, even over his own father sometimes. And now he's someone who has demonstrably, at least from his perspective, did done something bad. And I wonder how much, like... That may have been, like, the final straw for Locke. You know, he's like, well, they can all hate me and misunderstand what happened with me. But, like, if I lose Walt, then I've lost them all. Uh, so Saeed is going to show up, and he's immediately in Inspector Jarrah mode, right? Like, burn out, burn out. So, Locke, uh, tell me about your scar. Uh, war wound. <laughs> you want to know how I got these scars? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God, I don't. I don't the think locker. Do. Yeah. Uh, it looks more like a surgical scar. Like I said, war wound. Uh, and he wants to know more about Locke uh, and what happened with Boone and how Locke mentioned at the Boone roll that there was uh, a radio and if it was working, it probably didn't survive the fall, but maybe some of its parts will be helpful with the transmitter that Saeed is creating for the raft. Uh, so he is going to recruit Locke on a mission through the jungle. They're going to have 
a really awkward conversation as they are moving closer to the plane. Mike, the plane. Let's listen to sound number four of this conversation between Locke and Saeed. How did you find this plane? Luck. You and Boone were hunting. Is that a question? Yes. Boar got scarce a couple weeks back. We weren't hunting, we were exploring. So you just happened upon a beach craft perched in the trees. Yep. At the funeral, you said your leg was injured. It was just a Charlie horse. Cramp. I know what the Charlie horse is, John. Back in Iraq, you were an interrogator. Is that the question? Yeah. A long time ago, I was. Well, you haven't lost your touch. Why would I interrogate you, John? Jack called me a liar in front of every man, woman, and child I've come to know over the past month. And maybe there's a part of you that thinks maybe there isn't a plane out here at all. I know when I'm being lied to. There's a plane. Like I said, you haven't lost your touch. So a human lie detector, Saijira. Yeah, I think this and uh, the other scene that occurs between Saeed and Locke, with spoiler alert, we will also listen to. I don't know. I what I really enjoy about this episode, I think it's a very interesting dance between these two characters who are both extremely intelligent and you know have done a good job of navigating situations and i just love the back and forth with them uh, i obviously the recurring line of you know is that a question i think is i don't know if it feels like they're playing tennis uh, in honor of their fallen who's, comrade who's winning who's hitting the winner i think saeed is considering that uh-huh. he's the one who actually gets ends up getting taken to the plane but i mean again to talk about Locke's role in all this you know even though he has been quote unquote found out and decides to reveal some of the truth about the plane I just find it so interesting that he still chooses to obscure certain information like the hatch, uh, you know, until Saeed has to actually force it out of him. You know, he's still he's talking about some stuff. He he even says here that uh, getting to the beachcraft was, quote unquote, luck. He's I don't know if he just doesn't believe that Saeed or he doesn't think Saeed would believe the dreams that he had, unlike somebody like Boone. But he does reveal that, hey, we weren't hunting. We were exploring. But then he says, oh, my leg was just a Charlie horse. So. To hear the selective truths that Locke is still coming out with, you know, he is edged closer to being a completely truthful individual, but he is still holding his cards fairly close to his chest. I do really like that line, by the way, of, I know what a Charlie horse is, John. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun. Uh, I think that there's, I think that the Saeed and Locke relationship is probably fairly underrated here when it comes to, when it comes to Lost and when you think about character dynamics. Um, And I think that there's, there's some good stuff here Ah, uh, I just, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know. I, I think that it should be a little bit, I was gonna say, it's gonna, I feel like it should be a little bit harder for Locke to get back in with everybody's good graces in this episode, especially with like the amount that he does lie, even to Saeed here. Uh, and yeah, he's going to get shot in the temple, <laughs> not the place where Dogen and Lennon are hanging out, uh, but literally the temple of the side of his face. Unless, uh, big theory, the temple is the temple. Oh, wow. That's possible. Yeah. They, that the island is actually on Locke's head. head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not impossible. 
Uh, but I just feel like he kind of gets off easy, right? Like, I feel like he kind of, like, reintegrates into the group easily. And even Saeed is going to say, like, I, I suspect you're the best chance of getting off this island. Uh, and it just, it does ring a little false to me. And I don't think that the the consequences of what happened maybe are felt as severely as they need to be felt. But I, I do love the dynamic between Naveen Andrews and Terry O'Quinn. Yeah. And I think that it's explored beautifully in season three. Uh, I think that there is a, there's a good stretch of season three where Saeed and Locke are kind of like co-commanding the crew while Jack and Sawyer and Kate are at the polar bear cages and Locke and Saeed are in charge of the beach crew to a certain extent and go off in pursuit of Jack alongside Kate and eventually Rousseau. Um, I, th- I think that that whole arc I, I really do love. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of seeing like the early stages of it here. I just think that, I don't know, I think like the fallout of it is maybe not as strong as it, as it could have been. No, I think these are good footprints for that dynamic that we're going to see down the line. And that I think Locke and Saeed almost like see each other as equals. Like while Saeed is interrogating Locke, it doesn't feel like the way he would interrogate somebody like Sawyer. Where yeah. he's almost treating him like, okay, this is somebody who I know has information, I'm going to get it out of him. Saeed is clearly someone who's like, John knows exactly what I'm doing and I'm going to respect that. I do agree in terms of like the actual logical treatment of Locke from the camp perspective, but I guess there are a couple things here. A, it doesn't help that the one person who is ripping into him saying, you murdered him, you murdered him, uh, is the one who's like coming across as very, very loony, very weak, very fatigued. Uh, considering that, again, Boone only told Jack. I think, uh, you know, had he told Kate or somebody, there might have been a stronger case against Locke. And B, part of me kind of feels like they don't want to believe Boone. You know, it's this weird thing of, like, confirmation bias of, like, wait, it can't be Locke. You know, Locke, Locke is this guy he's brought us bore. He has these big rousing speeches. Yeah, he made this speech at the funeral that really made us, you know, uh, stop in the moment. But I don't know exactly if he's someone who we should turn away from the camp because he's so valuable. I feel like that's a complicated dynamic. And I agree. I think if this was, I don't know, uh, if either this got bumped up in the episode order or they expanded the episode order, I think we could have spent a few spent a few episodes of Locke as an outsider and how he eventually gets brought back into the group. But I feel like unfortunately, just due to how much we're really speeding through until the end, as I mentioned before, he and Kate are both going to become ostracized in their own ways, but it's almost going to get immediately written off because they need to be part of the main plot. All right, let's go to flashback. Uh, and we'll talk about it in, in more detail, I think, a few scenes from now. But Isam has been, like, tapped to be the martyr. Uh, and he's very scared, very clearly. Uh, and the thing that I'll comment on in this scene, while they're playing soccer with, with the opera house in the background, uh, which, again, that's how you know you're in Sydney. <laughs> of course. Uh, so you can only do anything in front of the opera house when you're right, in Sydney. <laughs> right. But I, I love the way that, like, Isam kind of, like, collapses into Saeed's arms. As Saeed's, like, trying to be like, hey, hey, hey whoa, 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 this is not a nothing deal. Like, let's talk this through. Uh, like, really humanizes the character there at that point. We haven't really mentioned it that Isam's wife uh, was was killed in an attack. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what's galvanizing him here. Um, but we go to, to freaking Cole and Hewitt. Uh, and Syed's like, this is going to happen. This is going down, just FYI. And they're like, all right, well, cool. Uh, this is useless information unless he goes through with it and you make sure that you're hitching your wagon to that. Because that's the only way we're going to find the bombs. That's the only way we're going to know where the bombs are. And so he's like, what? No way. I'm not going to let Isam die. He's a good dude. This is not what he wants. He doesn't want to do any of this. And they're like, okay, well, you can't walk away. Uh, because if you do, we're going to arrest Nadia. She's yeah. living abroad. She's got a record of insurgency. 
she could get picked up as an enemy combatant. So unless you go talk your friend into blowing himself up, this is Oof. what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's literally the line, right? Yeah, go she, talk she, she, your she, friend she into she, blowing she himself up. you're going up. to convince your good friend Isan he needs to blow himself up, which is like, yeesh. I might report yeah. uh, Cole to HR after that because yeah. she is just not doing a great job uh, winning people over, I guess, with their hearts, more so with blackmail. Yeah, it's not it's not cool. We'll talk about that more in a little while. I know we've got a, a sound clip from the flashbacks that we're going to pull in. I think that that's a good spot to to talk this stuff through. Um, all right, but speaking of sound clips, <laughs> let's let's go babysitting, uh, adventures in babysitting uh, for with Charlie and Hurley playing the part of Thor. Uh, let's let's listen in and see how everything's going with Turniped. Down came the rain and drowned the spider out. Wait. Dude, it's washed. Wash the spider out? Unless it's some kind of British version. Oh, okay. Down came the rain and washed the spider. Oh, bollocks. What's the matter, man? Oh, I got the bloody thing to stop crying. Maybe he's hungry. No, nope. I nest him five times. Make any deposits? You know, Dapper Wife? All right. Time to break out the big guns. Wow! I feel good! No, 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 no. I knew that I would now. No, 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 no. I feel good. No, no, no. Dude, that's all I got. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so that's that's a moment that's almost as good as uh as the as the Boone roll. Not yeah. quite. I mean it's it's it's, it's, a, I, it's it's a lot of fun. It's great Charlie Hurley stuff. I'm glad that we've gone over Charlie being such an ass to Hurley in numbers that like Charlie's going to him for advice. I also feel it's very unfortunate irony that Charlie keeps singing Drown the Spider Out, considering he will be the spider drowned out a couple of right. seasons from now. Uh, but yeah, who knew that Hurley had a little bit of James Brown in him? Actually, I always I wanted to talk about this, but I keep forgetting every time we talk about Jorge Garcia. But one thing I will always remember about Jorge Garcia is I'm not sure if you remember this, Josh, but it's one of my favorite Emmy openings of all time from 2011. Jimmy Fallon hosted, and that's when Glee was a big thing that did not go completely off the rails yet and they did a glee-esque opening and it was jimmy fallon and tina fey and some of the glee kids and joel McHale and john ham and also jorge garcia and so if you guys want to treat maybe we'll link to it in the show notes watch that 2011 opening where you see jorge garcia rock his ass off to born to run ironically wow that's amazing i had no idea yeah, he's uh, he's got. I mean, he showed it here. It's got like a, a nice little like rock whale to him, and he uh, yeah, no, for sure, he kills sure. it. Yeah, he crushes it. Uh, yeah, this is a really funny scene. It's one of those moments where uh, scenes like this are the reason why I still love Lost as much as I do. You yeah. know, it's again, it, it's it's all about the characters, or at least the reason why at least both of us sort of take in Lost. And it's yeah, moments I like this so. that you're like, hey, even if there is some like questionable stuff going on or stuff you don't like there's still these little things like well this is a great example of how i think even like an average episode of lost has greatness in it like i don't think that there is a single episode of lost that doesn't have at least one moment in it that mm. isn't like uh a, you know 
a really impressive shot. You know what I mean? Like, I think at the very least, every single episode, the worst episode of the show, either has like an incredible uh, Giacchino moment or a really funny gag or just like a really tender character moment uh, or just like a, a surprising performance. Every single episode has something like this. Uh, this episode has more than just this Charlie and Hurley scene, uh, but I think that this is a good example of how uh, even in an episode that I, I think is like, it's fine. It's, it's totally fine. It's like a passable episode of Lost for sure uh, and better than average, uh, but maybe not much better than average for me. Uh, is uh, It still has something as funny as this, and you're always going to enjoy going back and watching this show, or at least I am. Absolutely. It feels like you know, your heroine in a way. And speaking of which, Saeed gets to lick some right now. Yes, yeah. So they're back at the Beechcraft and uh, Saeed sees the heroine on the ground. He licks some heroin. He goes, heroin. Uh, and then uh, for the rest of the episode, it's acting very strange and you wonder yeah. why. Uh, it's not it at all. Uh, but Locke says, I think these guys are smugglers. And he's like, okay, so Boone climbed up alone because of your Charlie horse. Uh, and he's asking, why'd you lie? Why'd you lie? Locke says, I made a mistake. Uh, and Side's like, okay, well, let me just get into the plane. Let me uh, see what I can salvage from this radio, and I think we'll get back in time before this storm hits, because, yes, a, a big storm is on its way to the island. There will be a downpour just a few scenes from now, uh, and this scene continues, but it's worth listening in to the remainder of this scene as John Locke is going to drop a bomb. Why don't you trust me, Saeed? For one thing, you've been carrying a gun you've told no one about. We found one of the smugglers about a half a click west of here, dressed as a priest. Nigerian currency in his pockets, and this. Now you're armed and I'm not. Does that earn me any trust? You gave this to me because I caught you concealing it. That earns you adaptability. Okay, I'll tell you something you don't know. Please do. The first week after the crash, there was a cave-in. Jack was trapped. you remember that? Of course. You, Kate, and Sawyer went out into the jungle to triangulate a signal. Yes. You were hit from behind, knocked unconscious. When you woke up, the transceiver, your equipment was destroyed. That was me. It was me! Does that earn you any trust? <laughs> I knocked you out, bro. Do you trust me now? No! It's like, no wonder that Saeed, like, gr he grabs yeah. Locke by the throat and, and holds the, the gun, gun to his into, throat. <laughs> into his throat! Yeah, and at this time, it's like, yeah, Locke, what did you expect, man? Yeah, uh, Locke's tactics here. Hey, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll admit, like, I know it's a hard fall for Locke, but one of the things I enjoy about this episode is this is a position he's never been in before in terms of status. On the island, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I really like that, though, where it feels like it's bringing in a little bit of shades of off-island Locke, where this is someone who felt like he was at the top of his game, that he was invincible, that he could do anything because the island was telling him what to do. And even before he he drops the big bomb, when he's like, Oh, hey, uh, here, let me give you my gun. Now we're all cool, right? It's very clear he wants to just move on. And though others around him might want to, I like that Saeed serves as that final obstacle. 
you know, at least in this moment. He's saying, like, no, no, no. You gave me the gun because I pointed out you had the gun. That that does not mean anything. And also, it means you adaptability. Yeah, which is I, a great line. Yeah, because that's also as well because it can be taken so nefariously too. Of like, well, you're adaptable, meaning that you are somebody who is willing to, you know, if you get blamed for something, you're willing to shirk it onto somebody else. Uh, but you know, here when Locke says, "Okay, here's something for you that'll help me get onto your side." I knocked out and broke your big transmitter, and I didn't tell you for about three or four weeks. Now are we yeah. friends? Yeah. So I mean, we, so we've already talked uh, to some to some length in the past about uh, Locke being the guy who knocked Saeed out, um, and I think that we both agreed that barring the appearance of Chef Jeff in the jungle, the smoke monster, to help Locke skin the boar, uh, that it didn't really make much sense with the timing of what happened in the moth that Locke was able to knock Saeed out. So, like, the continuity of it, we've covered that, right? Like, I don't think that we need to cover it any further. What I would like to cover is, does this make sense as, like, a moment to reveal something like this? Like, is it, is it just that Locke is so desperate that he has such a bad read on Saeed and the situation? Is he so desperate to hide uh, the hatch still from anybody that he is going to, you know, reveal this really big deal that's going to get Saeed emotionally charged and distracted enough to not even bring up the hatch? But he doesn't even know that Saeed knows about the hatch because when he finds out from Saeed here, he says, what about the hatch? And Locke's like, hatch? What oh, are you talking there's, about? A, this plane's got two hatches, which is like smooth, Locke. It could be forward or aft. Uh, but he's, you know, he was, what hatch are you talking about? And he's like, Boone talked about a hatch before he died. And like, like Locke has to like be biting through his tongue being like, that rat, he ratted me out. Uh, you know, like, what is the reason that he's doing this? Why does he really think that this is going to work? Uh, that this is going to that this is going to sit well with Saeed. I just it doesn't it does not land great with me. Still, uh, I think that this is one of those things where this is like this is this is why I think a lot of the time Lost is better when they don't try to connect everything. Mm. Uh, because I I think that the attempt to to come up with some sort of explanation of of who knocked Saeed out. Uh, I think if they could have waited a little while, uh, they could have had a better answer to it. I think that the the answer that they have was just not very good. And and more than that, I think that the the revelation of that information is is maybe even worse. Let me put myself in the bald head of John Locke for a second here. So he has been having dancing a little tango of words with Saeed up to this point. And to your reference, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, Locke's tactic at this moment is to win Saeed over. What I find especially pertinent is once we come back from commercial, Locke says, back then, you wouldn't have engaged in a reasonable debate. And essentially, what he's implying, at least from my opinion, is now you're able to. I wonder if it's a simultaneous dual-pronged approach. And again, it doesn't really work. And it's not a great read, but if I'm coming from John Locke's perspective, it would be, A, that he wants to get on Saeed's side immediately, because it's clear that, I mean, immediately, immediately, because he's holding a gun to his throat, even though he probably doesn't think that Saeed would shoot him. He thinks he's more of a logical man than that. And B, he feels like Saeed is someone who can play a bit of chess with him. And so he hopes that in explaining himself in a very logical and reasonable way right now, knowing what he knows now about Saeed, that Saeed might be more understanding than what he assumed back then. Now, is this great from like a story perspective or even from a character being right perspective? No, 
but I feel the verisimilitude is still there character wise. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's great performances. One of the things that we haven't really mentioned about the way that Terry O'Quinn is playing Locke in this episode is how he's like kind of hoarse. Talk about the Charlie horse, yeah. but his his throat, right? Like his voice. And it's, you know, this predates getting a gun jammed into his throat. Uh, like he has like a, like this kind of like tired quality to the way that he's speaking, um, which is great continuity with him wailing in the jungle in Deus Ex Machina. Uh, so I love that. I, there's still performance stuff that even even if I don't like the way that the the story is being told right now. Uh, I think is still still really good. All right, so let's get to that aforementioned sound we were talking about from the flashback. I think that this is gonna this is gonna help us talk about Saeed and Isam a little bit better, and and sort of the conflict that is emerging there, and what Saeed's motivations are at this moment in time. I'm not sure if I can do this. You would not be a martyr if you didn't have to overcome fear. Islam. I'm not afraid to die. So the innocent lives. All those people. The Imam preaches peace, Sahid, that every human life is sacred. It's true. Innocent lives will be lost in service of a greater good. What if I'm doing this because I'm angry? What if I'm doing this because they killed her? What if you are? Should we just accept what happened to Zara? What about all the others like her? Do we just accept their deaths? Because if we do, it means ultimately we care nothing about them. I lost someone too, Hassan. I will never be whole again. There need to be consequences for those responsible. That's my duty. That is how I will honor her. Dad was right. It was fate that brought us back together. Said, Will you do this with me? I will. Okay. Sorry, you're setting him up. That's your friend. Yeah. Your friend. What are you doing, man? I listen. The things we do for love, to quote oh, another conflicted anti-hero. Mike, Mikey Lannister. Yeah. Uh, but, okay. Again, I know that the flashback material itself is not the most tasteful. The thing is, Josh, I, I really like this scene. Uh, well, and- I, I really love I, I love that actor. I really do think he's great. Yeah, I think... I, I, and, I, like, I think, like, the fear that's pretty palpable, like, he plays that really well. Um, and, like, Saeed... Saeed, like, does this thing sometimes, you know, when he, he like, plays a character to to get undercover. He'll do it in, at the end of season two with Michael, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when he's like, of course, Michael, whatever you need. And then he'll go to Jack and be like, yeah, I think Michael's uh, betrayed us. He's been compromised. Uh, you know, I, I do enjoy it when Saeed goes undercover in this way. Uh, but it, it is just, like, I don't know. Like, even though the performance is great, like, it just makes, this just kind of, like, upsets me. I just don't like it. Right. And I think that it's tough to sort of, like, extricate the subject matter from the thematic material that's being talked about, but I want to do it. And again, I apologize if it's coming off as insensitive. Do not mean to do it whatsoever, but but I want to break this down from a a more literary perspective because I think it is important that we get Assam's perspective and not just because it's beautifully acted, but I think this idea of remorse, even though we're we're four years after 2001, but Josh as a 24 person, 
I think you, you can speak to it firsthand that like these types of opinions were not necessarily shown from the perspectives of people in terrorist cells. And granted, you know, he was going to go through with the plan, but it's at least showing a point of view that we might not have experienced even a year beforehand. And what Saeed is doing here contrasts so nicely to what happens on the island. For him saying, you know, we can't, we, if we just don't go through with this plan, that would be accepting Zara's death. We need to take care of those who are responsible for it. That's the exact argument that Shannon comes to him with, right? Of Boone died, it can't be in vain. You have to be someone to take care of this. Again, it's the greater good. Locke harms somebody who is close to me. We need to take revenge, even if, quote-unquote, innocent lives are taken as a result. And another comparison between Saeed and Locke, besides their ability to uh, spar verbally, Saeed talks about Nadia, and granted, like you said, it's a little bit of a, of a role he's playing, but he says, I will never be whole again. And look no further back than two episodes ago, when Locke admits to Boone that the island made him whole. And so I just love this idea of sort of like finding your missing piece. And you, I think that even though Saeed is, is throwing a bit of a, a lure out there for Islam to eventually go through with this, he has to be at least a little truthful here, right? I mean, that's why he's doing all this at the end of the day is because he is seeking out Nadia. He's seeking that missing piece. And to see that sort of translate to the island as well and have him sort of almost play the oppositional role as what he's playing here, I think is a really interesting contrast that's set up. Yeah, I I think, you know, so we're going to talk about Born to Run for next week's podcast, and that's not a great episode (laughs) necessarily either uh, of Lost. It's got Arst in it, and so that's going to be really fun. (laughs) There's going to be things about the episode that I think will be, uh, I think it'll be fun podcasting, if nothing else. Um, But one of the things that I actually think Born to Run has over the greater good is its reason for existing makes more sense to me. Uh, where the raft is about to launch. We need to set up the fact that the raft needs to launch really, really soon. And if the raft goes and rescue comes, that does have like a very significant immediate impact on Kate that is unique to the impact that it's going to have on everybody else. She'll go to jail. She'll get arrested. She needs to start working on a plan and fast. And so it makes a lot of sense why the penultimate episode of season one really does land squarely on Kate's shoulders. Talking this through, talking through the greater good and like the fact that like the the flashbacks just like don't necessarily feel super tasteful in in a lot of ways. Uh, to me, like it's also like a, a piece of it is why why does this have to be Saeed's story right now? I just don't really know that I feel it. And I, I think that like in most cases you can feel it. Uh, why why the episode belongs to a certain character. Um, I think with like Homecoming, we had to like kind of make some we we had to do some like logistical gymnastics in order to like kind of make it make sense for why it's charlie's episode uh and that episode as i said then met me at a time where like i really needed a, a, a to to dig into lost and just like kind of like throw my brain into lost and i was thrilled to do it um here i guess i don't feel it that need quite as much because the way that we're recording these these <laughs> uh end of season one podcasts is we're doing it in, in fairly short order so we're, we're talking about a lot of great lost right now um and i think that there's good scenes in this episode but i just i i can't find the reason why this has to be saeed's story right now other than they need to tell us why saeed's in australia 
Um, and I don't think that that's a strong enough reason, man. Just for me, like it just doesn't really, just doesn't really work. I do, I, I really do appreciate that we're getting this from Isam's perspective. I feel icky that Saeed is like pushing this man closer to death in order to like get closer to Nadia. Um, and I know that a lot of Saeed's story is ultimately about moral compromise and the things you do for love. Uh, and that's you know where they're going to land with him eventually, but. I just think that that's a piece of Saeed that maybe the show never really does as elegantly as it needs to, even in the end. Mm. I mean, yeah, we can definitely talk about, especially as we get later on, what they end up doing with Saeed's character and how I think once Nadia dies, that part of Saeed dies. And unfortunately, his character suffers as a result. I, I don't know. I'm not turned off as turned off on this episode by you because we don't have the quote unquote, like, why we need a, a flashback just because... I mean, I feel like the flashback, again, from a thematic and a character-based perspective, is pretty good. And I'd rather have a pretty good perspective from a character who's a little bit... I wouldn't say a little bit tangential. I mean, he still is the one... I guess he's the more action-driven character, right? As opposed to Shan's the more emotionally-driven one. And we could very easily have spent an episode of her grieving over Boone, leading to her, you know, stealing the key from Jack, taking the gun out of the case, and deciding to shoot Locke. But Saeed is involved in a lot of action in this. It's not like we're going to, like, Hurley, you know, who's in one scene. Saeed is involved in a lot of the action around this. And I personally, when it comes to flashbacks, would rather have a flashback from a a more impertinent character that I think is more emotionally and thematically rich than a flashback from a pertinent character, which really isn't doing it for me. Well, we just don't really know. Because they never really tried until it was way too late with Shannon. And I've seen Maggie Grace act in other things. And I think that she's a really good actress. And I think that they, th- with with the material of, of where we are, even like her stuff on the island in this episode is really powerful. Her cry acting, terrific, Mike. Uh, she, her like her grief and her exasperation. And even even like the moments where she's just like kind of like uh, like stone cold silent because she's just like shocked right like she's just like dealing with the shock of having lost boone so suddenly with zero warning whatsoever and no ability to say goodbye uh she plays all that stuff really well so i just wish that we'd had the opportunity to to dig in a little bit deeper right no uh, no i i agree i would also just say and again like it feels more like you know i would say personally i i wouldn't want to rate this episode of what it's not Instead, rather, what it is. But I can totally see your logic as well in that I think there are there were missed opportunities here. Yeah, I th- but I think that that plays a role for me. I think I think the evaluation of, like, what is, what is like, how are we arcing out right now? Um, you know, what is an episode like this setting up and what is it paying off? And I definitely see the need for there to be a Boone Fallout episode here. And this is a Boone Fallout episode. So it works in, in terms of, like, continuing to thread the forward momentum of season one. It's serviceable, certainly. Um, um, but is it the best version of what this episode needs to be? Uh, for me, no, it is not the greatest good. Right. And I and uh, I will will sort of copy and paste that into my statements about Born to Run next sure, week. Sure, totally. And I don't think that I'll disagree. I, I think like I, I see that episode's need for existing um, in, in the same way that I see this episode's need for existing. And I think in both cases, probably uh, the execution leaves something to be desired. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm really interested if, you know, if we ever get some more JGM inside information like you said there's not a lot of other behind the scenes information here but i would love to find out like were were the greater good and born to run just like rush jobs because i would not be surprised if they were where they're just like okay we really gotta like put the move on here and maybe it led to some 
not so great decisions being I made creatively. I think it's hard to make, you know, 25-ish hours of television. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, if there's going to be some clunkers along the way. I mean, this isn't even a, I wouldn't even call this a clunker. That's a, that's a harsh yeah. word for this episode. Uh, you know, it's a, it's lost. So the clunkers are few and far between as far as I'm concerned. Uh, is it a lower tiered episode for me? Probably closer to that. Um, but it is, it is still lost. Uh, and there's just a, a massive volume of television that they're yeah, having to create it, here. It should be said that this is also the longest season. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so back at the island, Shannon is going through Boone's things, and in an alternate universe, Mike, we're coming back from a Shannon flashback, but we're not. We are not. Uh, and here she's got a picture uh, of... She's gone through like Boone's wallet, and there's a picture of the two of them in the wallet. She's got like this pink bandana on. They look happy. look cute. Yeah, I think, I, you know, it's a nice picture of them. Uh, it was this sort of like... This was Boone's wallet slash like checkbook, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I guess so. Yeah. He's so we could write off all own. those business expenses. Yeah, it's just in case. Uh, but so Lock, uh, Saeed comes back. He's, I talked to Locke. I believe him. It was an accident. And she's like, so why did he lie? And he's like, I don't know. But I don't think it was because like he killed Boone. And she's like, so that's it. The, uh, the investigation's over. He's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah basically yes she's not happy about it she runs away yeah i think saeed's statement of i know how strong the need can be for someone to blame is going to be very interesting for saeed's off-island arc specifically when ben basically uh t- makes use of that to have him do his dirty work i like that yeah i can see that for sure i think that that is something that saeed knows uh very well like in the in the same way that like earlier in the episode Locke said to shannon can't say i can you know tell you that i know what you're going through uh it's like this is like the opposite of that where Saeed's like i know exactly what you're going through to some degree like yeah. i know what it feels like to like be so mad about something uh a personal loss and feel like there is somebody that you can pin it on yeah exactly it, it's again really i just can't wait to get to those later seasons for obvious reasons but i think you know we've done a great job of deep diving into these characters and i think talking about their arcs and the way that some of these characters change specifically some for the better some for the worse is going to be very very interesting to track all right so at the raft uh walton and michael and jen are all there and walt's got a lot of questions for his dad like what happens if a shark attacks and mike's like oh the sharks aren't coming anywhere near us man i guess they're not coming anywhere near wall yeah michael specifically even though again the jury's still out on whether that's a shark or like a mechanical shark i think it's a shark but he's like what if we die we're not going to die. Boone died. It's like, oh, poor Walt has been through a lot. Yeah. Again, I, I also feel like if we had several episodes for the Boone fallout, we would have dealt with it a lot more from Walt's perspective. Because you have to imagine there's a good amount of innocence lost there. Where, like, yeah. yes, he's seen a bunch of crazy crap happen on this island. But I can imagine that Boone's death hit him significantly to the point where he was pushing away Locke initially. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Charlie's going to show up. He wants Michael to know. Uh, he wants to ask Michael if he's no, he knows anything about babies. Because Turniphead's still crying. Uh, what was that that you said about Turniphead being mute? Ben behind the curtain because he is wailing. Uh, and Jin wants nothing to do with the baby, which is very funny. Uh, and then Sawyer starts yapping. It's like tell that baby to shut up. Nails on a chalkboard. And Turniphead loves Sawyer. <laughs> Uh, loves uh, the this is the a, sultry sounds of James Ford. Yeah, this is our second sort of like comedic Sawyer storyline in a row, but it's because Josh Holloway's such a great straight man, and I love how this scene ends with Sawyer walking away and Charlie and Aaron following him, and Sawyer looking behind, like, "What? Go away! Go, get away! Get away from me!" Very funny. Very, very, very funny. Um, all right, so then Jack wakes up, uh, and Kate's still with him, 
and she's brought him something something to eat. <laughs> what does he say? It's like soup with chloroform. He goes, what is it, chloroform? That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and immediately, and this speaks to Jack's uh, responsible nature, uh, his hand goes to his neck because uh, the first thing he's going to check, it's like when you're walking out the apartment door, keys, wallet, phone. Uh, he goes for the gun key. The gun key's gone. Gun key necklace is gone. Somebody took it. Lock! But it wasn't lock. And Saeed is like, ah, I'm here. By the way, pretty sure that wasn't Locke who took the key. And we cut to, it's the pouring rain. There's Shannon opening up a case, grabbing a gun. She, like, checks that it's loaded and walks away. It's like, Shannon, you know how to use that thing. Maybe uh, Brian taught her some stuff down in Australia. And I love the, the pouring rain. That'll obviously be an effect. I know that there is... At the time, a bit of a plot hole of, wait a minute, only a select number of people know about the guns. How does Shannon know about it? Uh, This gets retconned in Expose, where apparently Kate is flapping her gums a bit about the case. And that's what sort of uh, allows Shannon to be able to have the intel on it to uh, steal the key from an unconscious Jack. Or Saeed talks in his sleep. And during the sleepover the other night, she found out. Yeah. Maybe yes. Said gives out. I mean, that would be a man sort of like true to his spy-based nature, right? He gives out a lot of code and uh, state secrets in his sleep. Oh yeah, bad spy. That's not Said though. Uh, all right, so back at the flashback, uh, it is the the penultimate flashback scene of the episode. It's it's go time. Isam's getting picked up. Said's getting picked up. Uh, they've got the location. They're gonna they're gonna bring the C four. They're gonna they're gonna execute the attack. And as soon as Saeed and Isam are left alone, Saeed uh, basically says, the jig is up. Uh, Isam, get out of here. I'm working with the CIA. I'm working on the CIA to see you here with the C4. Uh, and he says, you got 10 minutes to get out of here before I call him. And if this were 24, Mike, it would be 10 minutes of real time. We're talking about a little bit more, like a, a full segment of television plus some of your commercial break. Uh, before Saeed is calling anybody. Um, but Isam, uh, this is not 24, and he's not going to give Saeed 10 minutes. Instead, he's going he's gonna to really rip into Saeed. And be like, this is about a woman. Mm. You, used, you used me to find the woman you love. You talked me into this. You told me it was for the greater good. You were supposed to be my brother, my friend. And he has like the gun uh, pushed into Saeed, not unlike how Saeed pushed the gun into Locke uh, just a few scenes earlier. Uh, he, got, he had to get the idea from somewhere. And Navy and Andrews aside is just like gesticulating wild. He's like, oh, oh no. Uh, it's almost Larry Davidish. Uh, and Isam will say to Saeed, well, I hope she makes you whole again. And he shoots himself and we cut straight from that back onto the island. Yeah, it's a really, again, amazing intercutting between the on island and flashbacks up where the flash of the gunshot takes us to a bolt of lightning back onto the island. But it's also... A really interesting, I mean, this is a sort of thing where, like, you could imagine this was going through Saeed's head as he runs out to the jungle to confront Shannon of, like, this is the downside of what happens, you know, when when people are driven towards a greater good to better somebody else. I mean, when I heard Assam say, "You, you said you were my brother, you were supposed to be my brother, my friend, I honestly was hearing a bit of boon in there. You know, not a little bit, but it's it's almost like Boone speaking from beyond the grave of like, John, I was with you and you ended up not only, you know, uh, leading me up into that plane, but you ended up lying about it. How could you do that? You know, we were supposed to work towards a greater good, but this was for your own self-interest. I, I think it's, again, really interesting comparisons. And again, a great performance from Hassan, like the absolute heartbreak that washes over him when he when Saeed outs his plan 
And I guess we'll find this out when we cut back to the flashback, but I guess it's the assumption that, like, the feds were on their way, and Saeed wanted to let him run away before they had the opportunity to get there? No, the I think he's saying, like, now that now that it's just you and me, uh, I'm, I'm now going to do my part of the job, which is to tell the authorities that I've got the C4, and I'm not going to tell them that until 10 minutes from now. So you've got 10 minutes to get out of here, and then I'll call it in, and then it's probably going to take them, like, at least five to show up. That's like a 15-minute head start. It's not awful. Yeah, but I think for Assam... Not enough, not enough. For Assam, yeah, it was more so betrayed. about, like, the... Just the pure heartbreak slash... I could imagine some embarrassment as well. I mean, Hassan, Hassad, before he sent them off, calls them both heroes. And Assam is just utterly devastated over the fact that, like, he was fully convinced to do this, and then he finds out that it was all for a lie... And that it wasn't going to happen anyway. And even if he was given the opportunity to run away, I can't imagine how guilt-stricken he would be anyway. And it's just so depressing that he ends up taking his life here. And you can imagine that's had a profound effect on Saeed. Because, again, as much as he tries to divorce emotions from the people he was probably torturing, and that's sort of what ties into solitary as well, this was someone who he was close with. Someone who he grew close with again in, you know, trying to be undercover with him. And I can imagine this was a very significant event of Saeed's life, which is why we see it. Back on the island, everyone is, like, running through the rain in the jungle, trying to find Shannon with the gun. Uh, Jack can't run for too long because he's lost the blood, and he's like, go, keep going, go on without I'm me. I'm going to sleep Saeed here. Does. It was chloroform soup. Yeah, Kate comes back for him because she feels guilty, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so we get to Shannon with Locke, and uh, let's listen in. Let's see how this goes. She doesn't believe me, Saeed. Shannon? Shannon? Please listen to me. He did it. I know it. You're not thinking rationally. You've never fired a gun before. Shannon? You don't want to do this. Yes, I do! If you do it, you can never take it back. Stay back! What did you do to him? I told you it was an accident, Shannon. Jack, you told me he was a liar. I'm sorry. Don't. Get away. Shannon. Can I just say that Maggie Grace is fantastic in this scene in particular? She's awesome. She's great. And what a shot. Oh, my Seriously. God. Even, even like, uh, you know, when Saeed's like, you've never fired a gun before. She's like, yeah, I have. And watch. Watch me do this. Yeah, how do you know I've never fired a gun before? Clearly, she knows how to use a gun. Because when he tackles her and she, like, pulls the trigger, 
even though she was she had locked dead to rights it's it's a it's points to Saeed for being like faster than the flash uh but points to Shannon for getting her aim thrown off and still getting lock in the head right i, I mean you, you got to count like if this i don't know if this is half life this would count as like a fatality uh, that, i don't that's, think that's, fatalities yeah. are in no, half life no it's it's more of a fallout thing where like you yeah. line up your Boom, shots for like yeah for like certain uh parts of the body depending on those percentages but it's still impressive. Yeah, and I think it's actually really interesting that, you know, again, Said saying, like, you're irrational, you're emotional, but I feel like if that was true for somebody, like, wouldn't their hand be shaking more? She is steely in this scene, and that's what makes it so... I mean, look, I don't think any of us were really thinking that Locke would be dead, considering that we just had Boone die. We can't kill Locke right afterwards, but, I mean, it is. it feels still like a scene that has stakes to it. And it does have stakes in that after it all happens, you know, Said. What he's saying to Shannon is very reminiscent, you mentioned it before, of what he says to Charlie. This thing of, like, look, I've been through it. I've killed somebody. Do not do that, because it is going to permanently affect you forever. And and we've seen it with Charlie. We are going to see it with Charlie. He does not want to put that onto somebody he cares about in Shannon. But after he tackles her, after he physically forces her not to get that blood on her hands, he says, I'm sorry, and... I, I feel like I can understand why Shannon rebuffs him here because I mean she's been hearing I'm sorry all day, whether it's I'm sorry as a, from Locke who had Boone's blood on his shirt, yeah, and and from the other people at the funeral as well. You know when when you sort of like gr- grieve someone in passing, you say I'm sorry for your loss. Like it's all she's been hearing. It's a lot. It's and a lot. Even yeah. The person she cares most about on this island is saying the exact same thing. I think it tells her I'm all alone here. And so I think her storming off, it's going to cause a bit of schism in this relationship, not on the level of Jin and Son, but they're not really going to come back together until he helps her with Boone's stuff in, uh, in Exodus Part 2 before he goes off on his mission. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, the, the Shan and Saeed relationship is on the rocks, much like Kelvin Inman. Yeah, it's on. It's taking a taking a nosedive. Uh, good scene though. Uh, not you know whatever, but it, it's, it's great aim. Great yeah, aim. and I would also say there's an interesting moment where you know Locke gets up. He it just grazed his head, just merely a flesh wound, and Jack. So lucky that John Locke. Yeah, and even though Jack woke up, uh, he is he still feels like he's in a nightmare, and that he is just giving a death glare to Locke right now. So it's very clear. That he he slept on it, and he is still loads this man right now. Yeah. All right. So back on the beach, uh, we see Sawyer is reading to turn up head. Claire comes up, uh, and yeah, he's reading like this uh, sports car article. It's like beneath the hood, the four point four liter power plant has a blah blah blah. Oh, uh, and then and now I would really like back in the day they should have really uh, booked Josh Holloway to do car commercials because I feel like he I has think, that type of voice. I think it's it's good. It's good. He does a good job here. Uh, listen, I would read. I would listen to an audiobook from basically anybody in the Lost cast. Is the point even Aaron? Um, I mean, I don't know because I haven't heard his voice now. What about uh, any any of the non-Australian actors playing Australian characters? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'd be interested at least to listen to a chapter or two. Uh, but it's cute. I really like the turn of head storyline in this episode. It's it's not like massively memorable, but all all of those scenes are are very very cute. Yeah, and I, and I um, think if we're talking again, if we're ultimately tracking Sawyer, quote unquote, earning the points, I think this is another step, right? Where sure, he was yeah. dragged into it, but at least he's sort of contributing. No, to the that he, in he's a way. game on. He's game on. Yeah, you know, he's he's in he's into it uh later that night Sayid's watching shannon from a distance and kate's like just give her some time she's been through a lot uh and Sayid says ah, it's not gonna work time's not gonna make a difference maybe i i made a terrible mistake uh <laughs> is, is everybody joe blue yeah, is that the one we're yeah. stumbling upon <laughs> yeah she's like you couldn't let her kill Locke. you had no choice 
Uh, it's like there's always a choice, and that, uh, which I love that though. I love that as a thesis statement uh, of Said. Uh, that again, yeah. there's there's no fate and there's no luck. Like things are in your hands at all times, and you live with the choices you make because he has many many times. I like it as an idea. Again, I think that the execution of the idea is what is often hit or miss for me. Um, mm. It is very rarely, if ever. Uh, an issue with Navy and Andrews. I think that he is terrific as Saeed. And I think very often he's written beautifully. Uh, I think he has some really amazing dialogue along the way across the series. I think just some of the some of the moments where the show decides to let him make the choices he makes don't always ring totally true to me. Mm. Um, this may not be an episode that ranks highly in that regard for me as it pertains to Saeed, but it's not the lowest. We'll, we'll get there <laughs> the deeper we get into, into the show. Um, but in a flashback... Said finally gets the info on Nadia. She's in Irvine, California. She's a lab tech. John Locke uh, for, looked at her house one time. That's Charlie right. Charlie saved right. her from being mugged. That's right. So you're very connected to this woman, or you're about to be. Uh, and his plane's going to leave in two hours. But if he if he gets on that plane, then Isam's body is going to be cremated. Uh, and Said's very upset about that. A Muslim man is supposed to be buried, he says. Uh, they're like, well, no one's going to claim the body. There's no family to claim the body. He says, I'll claim the body. And stupid Agent Robbie whatever is like, you can't claim him if you're on a flight in two hours, mate. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, and so it's like, well, then change my flight to tomorrow. And then walks away like the diva he is. Yeah. And, you know, good on sight. There's always a choice. And your choice to, to, uh, to bury your friend who you just brutally betrayed is going to uh, condemn you to the island for the next several months. Right, but maybe that means that... Uh, are these guys AOJs? Do you think Jacob told them to, like, purposely... Ah, AOJ. Um, but I think that... This is a really interesting scene for Saeed as well, because I think Saeed has probably already realized this beforehand, but this cements for him in this moment that these people regarded Isam and him as not people as objects, as things to get to an ultimate goal to cross a name off a board back at HQ, where, like, they, totally. they didn't care about, you know, their own well-being. They cared They're about, terrible. Yeah, they, they, They're they, they cared people. about the quote-unquote greater good. And so I think that Saeed's sort of realizing, like, oh, yeah, they're not even going to treat this body with proper burial for, for the, the cultural custom. They're just going to be like, yeah, we'll just throw it in the incinerator. Just shows how much they look down on and just don't humanize uh, you know, him or anyone else involved with him in this case. And so, I, I, again, I think it's it's a bitter note for Saeed to leave on, but also a little sweet in that, like you said, he does end up making the choice of, I owe this to Isam. You know, he's the one who ends up causing his death directly. And so he feels like he owes it to him to at least be able to give him a proper burial. So the final scene of the episode also takes place at night, and Saeed comes to lock, and he's putting ointment on his head wound, another wool wound. Uh, and... Uh, Said explains that I did what I did because I sense that you may be our best hope of surviving here, but I don't forgive what you did, and I certainly don't trust you. Uh, and again, I still feel like uh, the consequences just are not fully developed here for John Locke, but that is the way that it is. Uh, and he says, well, now you're going to take me to the hatch. And Locke's like, what the hatch? I still don't know what you're talking about. It's John. No more lies. That's a, that's a cool note to end on. Yeah. I think, again, it, it's, it's putting Said in that seat of... Uh, status, and especially since he ends on such like a status power note as well in the flashback, where yes, he was used as a cog in a machine, but he is the one who says, no, you're gonna get me this flight, so I have the ability to bury my friend, and here he sort of like ends on a hot streak of like, no, you 
helped lead to me me to sort of break things off with the one person I really care about on this island. We're going to the hatch. You've cost me too much at this point. All right, let's get into the others section here. And we've already been working towards it a little bit. So let's just keep pushing through with the feedback that we got from all of you people for this episode. Uh, this is from April Thomas, Mike. Uh, April Thomas wrote in, Mike, this is for you specifically. Be honest. Have you ever called Asher Turniphead or wanted to call him Turniphead? Uh, Mike, I will expand that question from April April, uh, and, and ask you, uh, what are some of your favorite nicknames for Asher? Okay, well, what do, you, what do you got? What do you got? Well, our go-to is Ashy. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, we, the one that we've really taken to calling him is Mister Baby, <laughs> and now we sort of regard him with like a little, yeah. like a little New Jersey, Baby Blue, <laughs> like a little New Jersey accent, like Oh, Mister Baby, Oh, oh you wow. can't see him, Mister Baby. Baby. Oh my god, that's the nanny for sure. Yeah, I'm very. I'm channeling my best friend Dresher, but yeah, uh, we like we like to call him by his full name sometimes. After James Bloom or AJB, we like AJB to, is we, cool. Yeah, we like to abbreviate it sometimes and, and like incorporate it into songs depending on uh, if it stands. The- if you were to describe his head as a vegetable, if it was like insert vegetable here head, what would it be? Oh, potato. Potato head, yeah. Um, yeah. Or I guess, like, what does a rutabaga look like? Because, like, it doesn't feel like a turnip. It doesn't really feel like Rutabaga it, head is a lot. That's a big... That's I mean, a it, does, it doesn't really feel like it, it winnows out at a point. Maybe it's, like, onion head. Maybe, uh-huh. uh, onion <laughs> is probably the closest thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's good. I like it. Onion head's good. Uh, this is from Dallin Servo. Uh, Charlie spent most of the episode trying to stop turnip head from crying, Mike, what do you do when your child won't stop crying? Okay, so th- this is this is a fun one too, uh, because like you know, as found on this episode, I'm sure parents can attest to. Like, there are random little things that you do uh, to be able to get your child to calm down that you never thought you'd be doing in your life. Uh, one of them is when he's feeling down. We like to bounce him on our laps and sing uh, "Funiculi Funicula." Like the Italian song of da 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 da, da and that cheers yeah. him right up. The other thing that I personally like to do that apparently he likes is uh, I talk in a voice that sounds like Roz from the movie Monsters Inc. And that like apparently that that sky you're gonna have to you're gonna have to demonstrate that Wazowski. I'm always watching you. And he, he likes that. Apparently. I don't know why, because it sounds like the devil's chalkboard being scratched. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the devil's chocolate for a second. I was like, I'd like to taste that. But yeah, for some, maybe that's another thing. We, that's another nickname we gave him was Wazowski, just because I'm always saying like Wazowski. Uh, just, just a few times a day. <laughs> That's great. Have you tried reading uh, race car magazines? Oh, yes. All the car magazines I have readily available in my home, Josh. I'll be sure to pour <laughs> yeah. through the, my material. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Jordan from Wisconsin writes in, I'd like to hear the person who wrote the defense of Shannon opine on this episode. Ooh. There's absolutely no way a rational person could defend Shannon here in Ooh, in translation, Boone tells Saeed that Shannon finds an older man, uses him for what she needs, and drops him. The prophecy of Boone is fulfilled here. She hooks up with Saeed, then asks him to murder Locke. Then she gets petulant when he won't do that insane thing that she asked him for. Uh, I think I'm a rational person. I'm going to come to Shannon's defense here. Shannon just lost her brother. Yeah! She just lost her brother and everybody is just like kind of like talking to her like she's like persona non grata all of a sudden. She got like uh uh she got approached by 
the man who's been accused of being responsible for Boone's death, covered in Boone's blood. There are no easy answers here. When Saeed returns after he's interrogated Locke, he absolves Locke, but doesn't really come up with like a great reason. Yeah, for, like and, it's and, and, basically what he says is like, just trust me. Yeah, he didn't she, do it. She, he doesn't. Where she doesn't like he doesn't comfort her really, I and mean, he doesn't even like. I understand it's an awkward situation. He comes to her in the beginning of the episode and says, like, what can I do for you? But, like, even during the funeral, you could see there's some distance between them. It's clear that Saeed doesn't really know how to approach the situation. I think Shannon's attitude is not unlike Hurley talking to Rousseau during Numbers of, like, I feel I'm going crazy and somebody needs to to tell her that she's not crazy. Yeah, somebody needs to listen to me. And then she can really fully envelop them and say, like, thank you. Thank you for finally believing me. Because I'm sure that's what she feels right now. Yeah, and then another defense of Shannon, secretly one of the best shots on the island. Given if she had been given more time, yeah. I think that she could have become the yeah, group's uh, sharpshooter. If she had, uh, you know, survived into season three, she could have like, uh, you yeah, know, up with that big plan about taking I out the others that, on the beach. Hell yeah, I think that like uh, Hurley wouldn't have needed the the Dharma van, right? Like, I think that they would have gotten the job done. Yeah, like Bernard and Jim wouldn't have had to worry about anything at all. Especially like she's a natural shot. She stays alive. She stays in a relationship with Saeed. They keep doing target practice together. She only improves. Uh, she becomes like the best shot on the island. Yeah, I would love sharpshooting Shannon. Yeah, like, a little bit a, like a, the Annie Oakley of the island comes alive. <laughs> yeah, we missed that. I think that that was a missed opportunity. All right, let's uh, let's turn it to the Ben behind the curtain who asks us for the first time in watching the Greater Good. I really appreciated the flashback and how it tied into the episode. At the heart of both is Saeed being pushed into treating an innocent man unfairly for the love of a woman. But I think my, my perception has always been dominated by the terrorism aspect. Would this flashback have played better if what Saeed needed to get Assam to do was a little more mundane? So. I agree with Ben. I, I, again, I think it's nearly impossible to extract the emotional aspects from the obvious, you know, plot-based aspects of what they're doing. Right. But, yeah. And even Eric Divestein had written in uh, to ask, wasn't it a bit icky that the show decided to write a flashback about a terrorist friend for the only Muslim character on the show? I mean, this is something that we've been talking about yeah, all episode long. Absolutely. Yeah. I, t- I totally agree that it almost comes across as like just very tasteless that again this is the second time we're seeing a flashback from the muslim character on the show and it's about him dealing with a terrorist cell you know luckily then i think not maybe i can't remember the next time is it enter is is enter seven seven the next flashback we have for him no we're gonna in season two uh when we find benjamin linus um for the first time Uh. as henry gale we're gonna we're gonna see that saeed was uh he he learned uh, he he cut his teeth on in the communications game, uh, courtesy of one Kelvin Inman. Uh right, 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 right. Uh, but yeah, but and Kate's dad, Kate's dad. But once we but once we get to Enter Seven Seven, we'll get to see a bit of like uh, you know Saeed in Paris doing some other things that aren't necessarily based in uh, Muslim stereotypes. But uh, to answer Ben's question, I don't know. I feel like it has to be a life or death situation because I think that really sets up the gravity for the decisions that Saeed makes. Like if he's just sell- setting up his friend to like go to jail for selling drugs or doing something else illegal, it doesn't feel as weighty. Yes, this makes it more dramatic and, and unfortunately gets linked to something that's, that frankly comes off a bit Islamophobic sometimes in its, its portrayal. But I think from Saeed's perspective, it's a significant event in his life and it needs to be significant with those types of stakes. Uh, all right, from Scott French. 
Uh, it's very believable that Jack needs to recover after treating Boone and being blood and sleep deprived. But doesn't it kill the season's pacing, especially with the promise of Jack going after the murderer, John Locke, last episode? Uh, do you think that we needed to go full bore on Jack going after Locke? And is the fact that he needs to eat uh, sleeping pill smoothies, uh, is, that, is that not so good? What if we completely askew this episode and we do something where... Jack is pursuing Locke through the jungle, and it turns into, like, Boone's fantasy times a million. <laughs> where, like, he is just completely tripping. He'll see Christian again. Maybe he sees, like, Sarah, or he sees his mom in the jungle, and, like, maybe at least to a showdown between him and Locke, uh, where Jack is just completely physically collapsed. I don't know. This might be the, the the writers just sort of addressing the point instead of being people being able to be like, well, how is Jack able to keep going? Is it some sort of robot or something that he, he he doesn't need to sleep or eat? Yeah, that, I mean that just makes me think this could if this had been a Shannon episode and like they did like if they if they were advanced enough in in Lost to have like the 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 wherewithal to be like we can do on island weirdness as like our our centerpiece here like there could be some sort of shannon thing that's like a mixture between the abandoned flashbacks but also smoky mcsmokerson coming back as boone mm, like well, guy, guy, like guiding her um, towards something or, unsavory or doing like a shannon rutherford this is your life type of thing where like right. you have this mythical boone almost walking her through her memories yeah it could have been cool could have been cool um, from Daniel Brennan, how do you guys think Bo- Boone's funeral ended? As far as we see, Jack exploded and everyone forgot about Boone. Did Jack calm down and rejoin the group? Did Hurley and the others just bury him in silence after the commotion ended? Boone got little respect on the island in both life and death. Uh, Mike, I think it probably ended with Hurley saying uh, amen, I guess. Absolutely. I really Hurley felt things. it worked once before, so why yeah, not? That's like you the know, new thing. <laughs> yeah, just duplicate yeah. success. Yeah. Uh, Jenny Liu, uh, writes it in and says, uh, I think uh, impersonating John Locke, uh, let me just console you about your brother while I sit here in his blood right in your face. I'm not the creepy knife man. Please forgive me. WTF, John? Jenny Liu, cosign. Yep. Yes. He, uh, and maybe it's because maybe this is sort of like Locke's Achilles heel, that he doesn't really know how to approach grief which is ironic He's bad at this stuff and, yeah. and it is it is like I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because at the same time like this is some of the stuff that i love about john Locke uh is that uh he's not is not the easiest person uh when it comes to socializing uh and like uh you know social graces and, and what's the like right civilized thing to do here uh oftentimes he gets it very wrong this is just one of those times where like he's getting it very wrong and it just also kind of just like feels a little weird uh, in the in the storytelling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Divestein, why did Locke tell Saeed that he was the one who knocked Saeed out? This doesn't seem like the type of admission that builds trust. Was it just for the audience's benefit to solve a mystery? Uh, and yeah, I think so. Well, let, That's my yeah, feeling. We, we ta- it, it mostly feels like it's for the audience's benefit. And on that note, we talked about the character stuff behind it. I can't remember at the time, Josh, was there any sort of reaction? Because once again, you know, this happened... I mean, it was, it happened back in episode seven. Episode eight is when Locke sort of blames Sawyer, throws him under the bus, and sends Saeed after him, gives him his own knife, even. But I feel like, you know, we are so many months later. Did this even land with the audience at the time? Yeah, I think so at the time. But my my memory of reacting to it was being like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I maybe if this revelation was made in, like, episode 13, instead it would land a lot more. But it feels like it's so long ago. It feels like such a different world. Almost especially given with what's happened lately, 
in loss that it almost feels like it's tying up a loose end. Yeah. Uh, on that note, Johnny Cheek had asked us, uh, I wasn't watching season one live. How brutal was it for the long wait between Do No Harm and The Greater Good? There was a month between episodes. Yeah, Johnny, I actually don't remember that at all. But I think that's also because, uh, so it was April for Do No Harm and then the beginning of May for The Greater Good. So I was probably like you know, the end of uh, end of sophomore year crunch. I was working on getting on that dean's list. Yeah, not to brag. Well, especially with the, uh, the I don't know what your grades list. in astronomy were like. So you're like, crap, gotta catch. <laughs> well, up. this is second semester. This was second. Oh right, semester. right, right. That's that's over. And I done turned with. the ship around. I turned the ship around. I was on the dean's list for several semesters in a row, uh, and then that stopped at the end of college. Um, when you made but, it onto Jacob's list. Basically, uh, let's get one more uh, from Stefan Johnson. Why does Saeed think Locke is their best chance of survival? He just got Boone killed. He lied about the hatch and he attacked Saeed. Right now, Locke looks like their worst chance of survival. So the one thing I could think of is if Saeed is inferring that survival means protection from the others, because like it or not, he was very key and really setting up the plan to, like, you know, get one up on Ethan. And he could imagine, like, we need that strategy to take on the others. Let's remember that Saeed is the first person to find out about the others from Rousseau. So you have to imagine that's still pretty top of mind for him. So I feel like it's less so about, like, you can help us find water and food. Maybe the boar will come back. And more so about, like, you can help protect us, even though we don't trust you, but you can certainly serve as a nice shield for us of the other things that are coming our way. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 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 All right. Anyway, uh, let's do a, let's do a little roundup before we get into the 23 points. Uh, because of the way that we're recording these uh, end of season one podcasts, uh, we should have mentioned this earlier. Yeah, weeks we should have ago, mentioned like a month earlier at this point. Yeah, weeks ago. But uh, the great Sean Yannel, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Sean, uh, who, who's, who does incredible like pixel art of uh, of Survivor episodes, like really, really fun stuff. If you're not following Sean, yes, uh, Sean S. Yannel art on Twitter. And that's uh, uh, Y-A-N-N-E-L-L and Sean S-E-A-N. Yes, you're doing it wrong if you're not following Sean. And Sean uh, animated the first few minutes of the Lost RPG episode we did from a couple months back. And it's very, very funny. If you, you, I, I'd recommend that you, uh, you listen to the Lost RPG episode as well if you're going to fully get the impact. <laughs> Uh, but it's 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 hilarious. We'll link to it in the, oh in the show God. notes. It's, uh, it's incredible. Rodney Sesto is like a turnip body. Oh, he's a turnip bod. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Dallin Saravo reports that there's one more dude in this episode. We are up to 60 dudes. Wow. Uh, and then Jim Fells, of course, has his video this week. Uh, any any notes, Mike? Yeah, so this episode, unfortunately, Boone had to die, but we finally, Josh, get a Boone and Shannon theme. This is going to pop up a few more times. We'll see a few episodes from now when Walt gives Vincent to Shannon and during uh, Shannon's funeral in the aforementioned abandoned uh, and we also get a little bit of a Saeed suspense theme, which is mainly used during seasons four and five when Saeed straightens his hair and becomes an assassin. I love when he straightens his hair, by the way. Uh, it's, I know it's not really wig watch, but I'm going to have a lot to say about that when we get there. <laughs> uh, all right, 23 points. Mike is giving out two MVP points. I'm giving out three. I'm giving out two LVP points. And Mike is giving out 
three. Kate is still comfortably in the lead with 10 points. Uh, Hurley, Saeed, and Sun are tied in a second place tier with six points apiece. And Claire is off on her own, as she often is, with five points in a third place tier. John Locke, who really took a severe fall last week, uh, is in the fourth place tier alongside Jack and Jin, four points apiece. Uh, and then at the very bottom of the list, it's a it's a three-way tie between Sawyer, Shannon, and Anthony Cooper with negative four uh, each apiece. I think we're going to see some shifts this week, or at least uh, people moving moving away in in different directions. I'll lead us off. I've got the first MVP. Pretty easy to give this to Saeed. Mm. Uh, great performance from Naveen Andrews, the human lie detector and all that stuff. Maybe could have done better with empathizing with Shannon ultimately, but I, I, th- I do think he tried in his own way. I think he underestimated her. That was not great. Um, but the way that he is able to suss out what's, what's accurate and what's inaccurate from Locke's story and ultimately bust him at the end of the episode with no more lies uh, is, is a very cool mo- uh, moment and, and worthy of an MVP point for sure. Yeah, and you could maybe in an argument dock him points for him you know leading his psalm uh to take on that that you know uh that that action but at the same time it's a learning it's a big lesson for him where he learns exactly that the greater good might be a bit of a fallacy that if you're looking working towards a larger product like you can't forget about the lives that we lose along the way speaking of which I'm going to give it a point to an, to Assam. I think that it's a beautifully acted character I think it's a very interesting three-dimensional character that i think is actually pulled off over the course of an episode i feel like that's really tough to do with just a flashback one-time character but i think he brought a new perspective from uh a flashback to be quite honest can be a bit tone deaf and so i want to give the actor especially credit here He's great. Uh, again, like on, on, I, I loved that character on Twenty Four. He was so, so, so good in it. Uh, so I, I do love seeing him uh, on Lost. I just wish that they'd given him more to do. Uh, I'll, I'll also just spoil one of my LVPs. Uh, he does die in this episode, uh, and I only have two LVPs to to hand out, and the other one is going to be very easy for me. And John Locke is getting an LVP point for me this week, uh, but beyond that, I didn't have like a really obvious one to pick other than the person who dies. So even though you gave Isam an MVP point, Mike, uh, I am <laughs> he's he's not getting on the board. Yeah, he'll forever end in zero. He'll live in purgatory yes. with zero yes. points to his name. Yes, yes. Uh, so those are my LVP points that I'm just spoiling here. Locke is obviously going to lose a point uh, because of everything that we have talked about. Uh, the blood shirt, bad look. Uh, but to go to my next MVP point, uh, the voice of an angel, James Sawyer Ford. Yes, absolutely. Again, it's, it's begrudgingly that he gets dragged into the group here, but he does help put Aaron to sleep. And I'll give a point to the babysitter who realizes this, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a very generous <laughs> gesture for him to be like, Claire, you need to sleep. I'll take him off your hands. Though it seems like he literally knows nothing about child care <laughs> to the point of where like Hurley and him are calling poop deposits diaper wise. Uh, but I think, you know, he's able to get it at the end of the day. And I think the fact that he this shows, again, how much he cares for Claire uh, is something that should be commended. And then I got my I got the final MVP point, And at the, at the risk of sounding irrational, I'm going to give it to Shannon. You're not I'm thinking rationally. I'm giving Shannon a, an MVP point. Nice shot. And she could you know, the potential that is left on the floor for Shannon Rutherford uh, has me very sad today. I'm I'm finding. Uh, while we've got her here, 
Uh, you know, she's she's doing the best she can working through this grief. She's got no one to turn to. She is, you know, very reasonably going to to lose it a little bit here. And then for like all those reasons that back in the day I gave Ethan some MVP points, like you got to give credit where it's due. And like, even if you're acting badly, you're acting badly in a great way. Like you know, great job acting badly with the gunshot. Well, uh, Shannon's uh, Shannon's marksmanship needs a uh, needs some recognition here. Well, I still have three LVP points to give out, and let's speak to someone who also knows how to handle a gun. And you lampshaded it beforehand, but let me yep, yep. turn on the light. Uh, Kate, not a where, great look. <laughs> where Kate stands here on down the hatch, I don't think that that could be denied at this point. But it also cannot be denied that she's uh, worthy of an LVP point this week. She literally. She drugged Jack. She drugged Jack, then left him alone for Shan to <laughs> take the key. Yeah. And then apparently, again, if <laughs> we're not good. if we're considering yeah. canon, uh, this was again done off screen. But apparently, she is also just freely divulging information about the case oh, itself. So it's just not good. And it's not going to be a spoiler alert. Maybe not a great episode for Kate next week either. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and uh, who else do you got? I'm going to give one to. I guess I'll give one to like Hassad slash like the terrorist cell in general because obviously, uh, yep. that's not good. Uh, and I'm going to finish with going back to the well on our old standard, the police. Yeah, is, Robbie and what's her face? Yeah, I don't Robbie and Cole are. Uh, they're going. I have no. I have no problem if you if we want to just create a category for Law and Order. You know, literally, if we call it Law and Order, I would love that. Let's just do that. Yeah. We'll call it Law and Let's Order because there's characters are going to be running into a number of police officers, considering that two of them are criminals off the island so you know i i did not realize how much of a catch all this would be when i first brought it up during numbers but it popped up super quick and yeah i know that cole and robbie were doing their jobs but they were pretty heartless and they dangled something very you know heartlessly and over saeed's head that allowed him to do some pretty bad things all right let's get into 4.2 stars um and heading into this conversation i had the greater good at a 3.0 uh, and my my thinking there was like I enjoyed watching the episode, uh, and like if I enjoy watching an episode of Lost, I think by like default, like you're you're looking at at the threes. But then like the more I thought about it, it's like I I don't I can't tell if that's like too high or too low. Like I don't know if I'm under if I'm underestimating. You need to be like Shannon. You need good. to aim for the right target. It was hard, it was hard for me to tell, and and I kind of I I I decided coming into this that the conversation would would sort of dictate for me whether I moved the needle up or moved it down, and I was going to give myself like a point three uh, flexibility here. Um, and I think talking it through, there there's just I think there's there's more there's more opportunity left on the table here than I expected. And I, I think that there are ways that this could have been a stronger episode of Lost. I still think that what needed to be accomplished here, um, you know, seed, you know, sowing the seeds of distrust between John Locke and Jack Shepard uh, as that man of science, man of faith divide is only growing for the foreseeable future. I think that's important. That needs to be done here. And that scene is really, really strong. The turnip head scene, it, all those scenes are really, really fun. Um, Saeed is is always super watchable. Navy and Andrews is always super watchable. And the scenes between him and Locke are really well acted. But I don't know that they make a ton of sense for me, ultimately, in the end. And I think that we needed to deal with the fallout from Boone's death, but I don't know that this was the best way to do it. Uh, and I, I think especially coming off of Do No Harm, that's a, that's a really tough act to follow. For me, what it came down to also is I, I'd given The Moth a 3.0. Um, back in the day and so when i when i was evaluating this a little bit more it's like is this a better episode or as good of an episode as the moth 
Uh, and which one would I, if, if I could only watch one episode of Lost right now, which one would I choose? And every single day of the week, I would pick them off. Uh, and that told me something. So I have docked the greater good from the 3.0 that I originally had it at. And I've put it at a 2.7, which wow. is my, my second, second, lowest. Lowest, second lowest score of season one so far. Uh, ultimately, maybe in, in hindsight, I'm going to decide that that was too harsh. I even thinking about it now, like, I think I probably could go lower. Um, wow. but I'm going to leave it at 2.7. It's fine. It's totally fine. And there are scenes in here that are great. Uh, and you know, it's lost. So I'm, I'm always happy to talk about lost and I'm always happy to watch lost, even if lost is not phenomenal for me. Uh, but the greater good was sort of just like the okay ish fine to be. <laughs> should that have been, that should have been the name, not signs, yeah. not the greater good, yeah. but the okay ish fine. Uh, I mean, listen, if you've been listening to this podcast, you're probably going to know that I'm going to slightly disagree uh, with Josh's feelings on the episode, at least personally, especially as we get later in the season, I've been sort of comparing it to other episodes, and I'm looking at, like, Tabula Rasa, like, hearts and minds raised by another. I think I like this episode slightly less than raised by another and hearts and minds. In terms of this episode, I think that I really do like the on-island stuff. I do know that there are some weird sort of conclusions that we're jumping to pretty quickly. But I feel like from an emotional perspective and from an action-based perspective, I feel like it's all handled pretty well in terms of the immediate aftermath of a seismic, game-changing moment like this. Plus, we do have a fun B-plot that doesn't feel like too, uh, too you know, uh, completely distant from what's going on on the island in terms of balancing it out with the drama. The flashbacks are icky, but I can at least appreciate the thematic content and what it informs us about Saeed's character, even if that payoff doesn't necessarily happen in the long run. So I would put it on about the level of tabula rasa for me, in that there are things that I can appreciate about the episode. It's not exactly a, a hugely great episode. In fact, I guess by purely rating it, it's actually probably near like my bottom five of the season. But I ultimately gave it a 3.4 overall. Uh, and the audience is closer to you than they are to me. The audience has averaged out at a 3.2 for the greater good. Uh, it gets as uh, low as there's a, a 1.5 against the greater good. There's another 2.7 in the mix here. Uh, but a lot of like in the in the low three range. Uh, 2.9, another 2.7 here, uh, or actually just the one 2.7. Uh, so most of it's like in the low-ish three. Yeah, it, it, it I'm, ranges I'm from a little like, lower on this I think one. it ranges from like the high twos to the mid three. So I think we we sort of have represented the range pretty much. Yeah, I'm a little lower on this one than, than I guess the average bear, the average polar bear. Uh, but it gives us, uh, as it stands, uh, the 2.7, the 3.4, and the 3.2 get us to a 3.08. Uh, which lands the greater good uh, just behind the moth, uh, which is at 16, 3.09. The greater good is at 3.08, and it is just above homecoming. So the greater good hanging out in a, in a Charlie Pace uh, peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Mm, oh, that peanut butter. So imaginary. It's the, it's just rub, peanut butter rub it all over sandwich. that baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why you would do that. Uh, you know. Test- what if the baby is allergic? Well, that's the thing. You have to often test allergies uh, with a new Yeah, person. I don't know that you want to test that on the island. Uh, you know what? There's a doctor around as long as he's not sleeping. As long as he's not drugged. Uh, all right. So that's the greater good. The okay-ish fine in the books. Uh, and I don't think a spoiler to say that. I'll, I'll probably be rating next week's episode a little lower. Yeah. <laughs> is, we're going to Born to Run, uh, the, the third uh, and final Kate Austin flashback episode our, of the season. Our, re- our last regular episode of Lost Season 1. Yeah, our last regular episode of Lost Season 1 before we get into the three-part finale, which we will do across two 
separate weeks. Uh, the Born to Run episode is going to drop in your feeds on January 10th. We've already got feedback in for it, but it's not too late for you to send feedback for our end of season feedback spectacular uh, post show recaps dot com slash down the hatch. Oh, that's not the email address. That's how you subscribe uh, to Lost Down the Hatch. Uh, you lied to me a lot, Josh. <laughs> Why did you lie? Uh, down the hatch at post show recaps dot com, however, is our email address. You can send your feedback in that way. You can also tweet at us. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type uh but do subscribe to the podcast posterrecaps.com slash down the hatch for our apple feed but however you get your podcasts uh will be totally fine and make sure you're in the running for being uh one of those first ratings and reviews of 2020 what a what a what a great honor it would be um but we're gonna come back to you with born to run in just a little while mike Anything else? No, I mean, again, I, I think, you know, I have given this episode uh, a bit more love than maybe you or some of our other commenters have, understandably so. But next week, it's going to be a, a spoiler alert, a bit of a different story. Like you said, I think we, I can sort of appreciate what they're going for there, but totally, unfortunately, totally. The, uh, the water bottle gets a little poison. But I'm excited to get into it nonetheless, because we have Arst. Arst makes his okay. appearance. We've got Arst, and I, I do think that that's going to be one of the key difference makers that is going to keep Born to Run above whatever the case may be for me. Mm. Uh, but we'll see how that shakes out for you. I don't know. I have no idea. It'll be fun to talk through. Either way, it's lost. You know, it's going to be, there's going to be fun stuff to talk about. Like uh, Michael's, like, death glare at Kate. That's going to be great to talk about. Like, there's some really great stuff still to talk about, even in Born to Run. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, and we're going to have Charlie writing his uh, post-Island album. Like- oh, yeah. No, Charlie's album is actually really fun. <laughs> so we'll there's there's some fun stuff some fun that. stuff and there's listen yeah. there's there, especially in lost season one when they're really focusing more on like again people above plot mostly like yeah, there's still some fun yeah. stuff going on here but so we're always able to pick out those nuggets i might actually i don't know i don't know which i what, which one i enjoy more born to run or the greater good this will be fun actually all right we'll talk about it we'll get into it we'll be into it in a week uh that podcast dropping in your feed january 10th until then everybody take care goodbye Four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty-two, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty-two, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixty, twenty-two, forty-two.